Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz going to San Antonio and get a win. That's seven straight on the road for the Jazz. They're now 12-2 and two in their last 14 games. They've won 12 out of 14, and they did it without Donovan Mitchell. He was back in uh, Utah on social media and joined himself during the game. You can check out Donovan Mitchell's Twitter handle and... Uh, and enjoy all his comments during the game. I think Quinn liked what he saw. I think the Jazz defended well, held him to 43 points in the first half, held him to uh, 70 points through three quarters. Spurs got loose a little bit in garbage time, but I thought it was a pretty good defensive effort from the Jazz, and I thought the Jazz did a great job. And tonight, the three-pointer really wasn't falling. They made nine of them. They got to the free throw line. They got a lot of layups. They got a lot of dunks. They got a lot of stuff inside of five feet. Uh, Jordan Clarkson was particularly elusive, finishing with 23 points in the game, but there were dunks for uh, Bogey in transition. There were dunks for Rudy Gay in transition. In the half court, there were alley-oop lobs for Gobert and for Hassan Whiteside. Whiteside with another strong game off the bench. 13 points and eight rebounds in just 19 minutes. He has given the Jazz exactly what they need when Rudy Gobert sits down. Hassan Whiteside, man, that was, that was a good pickup in the offseason. If he keeps doing this, people are going to be very happy because he's playing at a pretty high level right now. So the Jazz get the win, and now they will move on to Portland for a game Wednesday night before they come back home, New Year's Eve against Minnesota, and New Year's night against the Golden State Warriors. That's what we need, right? A massive game in the NBA. Warriors have the best record in the NBA. Suns lost last night. So Suns are now second, a game behind the Warriors. And the Jazz are third, three behind the Warriors, two behind the Suns. Uh, And the Jazz will play the Warriors New Year's night right after the Rose Bowl. Because we need those things back-to-back. The Rose Bowl news is that four Ohio State starters are going to opt out of this game and get ready for the NFL. There's not that much getting ready to do. By getting ready for the NFL, that, that means try to stay healthy for the NFL and not get hurt playing in the Rose Bowl and cost yourself millions and millions of dollars. They're going to miss two of their three star, starting wide receivers. they got three guys combined who've uh, gone for like 3,200 yards receiving or something obscene like that. So uh, the guy who impresses me the most, Olave, is out. But they're missing two of the three wide receivers. They're missing a starting offensive lineman and a starting defensive lineman. And the offensive lineman's a tackle. So uh, that, that's a hit. That, that is quite the hit. We'll get more on this uh, coming up in what is trending one hour from now. But the Buckeyes down four guys. Now, what they lose in talent may pick up an enthusiasm. You know, just the Jazz miss Mitchell. And I think everyone was a little more dialed in for the Jazz. Got the Jazz best effort. And I think it's clear that in losses to the Magic and to the Pacers and to the Pelicans um, and, and really to the Spurs 10 days ago, 11 days ago, uh, the Jazz didn't give their best effort. They weren't dialed in. They weren't focused. But you miss somebody. In the case of Ohio State, you miss four guys. Uh, the other guys get dialed in. And the guys who step in, they're not going to be disappointed to play in the Rose Bowl. They're going to be pumped to play. Now, maybe they aren't quite as good. They certainly aren't as experienced. Uh, but the thing about Ohio State is they recruit a lot of four- and five-star guys. So I don't want to say that they don't have talent. They certainly don't have experience. <clears throat> And maybe that talent isn't as polished, isn't as trained, and can't play to the same level. But there's still talent, there's still size, there's still speed. So, All right, more on that coming up. DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. We talked to him in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. Uh, so some of the jazz stats are off. At that point, they'd won 11 of 13. Now they've won 12 of 14. But you get the bigger picture stuff. Here's Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. All right, Steve. Jazz fans have one worry at the front of their brain right now. Donovan Mitchell missing a road trip. Two games. 
lower back strain. Now he was playing and dunking and looking good in the last game, but he was also wincing, jogging up and down the court and was getting treatment both back in the locker room and on the bench for his back. And it's only two games right now. They have made no announcements one way or another about what will happen when they play Minnesota home on Friday. With what you know about back injuries and what you know about basketball players, how concerned should Jazz fans be? Yeah, back injuries are no fun. They're especially when, as we get older, and I'm much older than Donovan Mitchell, but uh, they're just nagging and they require constant care. And I'm sure he's going to get that um, with therapy and all the different things that they do. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's aggravating. It's just, it impacts your shot. It impacts, you're just kind of, I've always have it on your mind. So I'm hopeful that it's not going to be anything long-term, but it, you know, this has been a season of protocols and injury. I, I don't ever remember more people being out of games over extended periods of time than, than this year. And obviously COVID has a big, it plays a big part in it too as well, but injuries has happened as well. And, and, when you're not playing and you try to come back too quick, that can be hazardous. And so hopefully Donovan gets healthy. And, you know, the road trip they've got, Spurs are playing pretty good. I mean, they've, uh, they're 3-0 and the last three games. They beat the Clippers who were down. I mean, you start looking at people's wins, and it's hard to tell whether they're quality wins or not when there uh, is so, much, so many players out because of COVID protocol. But uh, the Lakers, who are horrible, uh, got destroyed by San Antonio, and then the Spurs beat Pistons. So they're they're coming off of three good wins. Murray obviously is is solid. Pirtle coming, you know, kind of a Utah guy there. White McDermott. They've got San Antonio's got guys that can play. They're playing together. Obviously, got a great coach. So going on a road and playing San Antonio is not going to be easy, especially when they're playing with so much confidence, and and they don't have a, a lot of guys missing. So that will be a tough that will be a tough ball game, and. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. Uh, Portland seems to be really up and down. Uh, and the Wolves, same thing. I mean, on a given, given night, depending on who's healthy and who isn't. But this is going to be a, a bit of a challenge. They'll have the Timberwolves at home, I think, uh, later in the week. But, you know, if uh, Lillard gets hot and Nurkic plays well, I mean, those, those are two games they can go and lose if uh, they don't pay attention. But they're certainly capable of beating both those teams, even without Donovan Mitchell, but they're going to have to step up and play. You look at some of the Jazz games here in recent weeks, they've lost to some teams that are inferior. And then even in some times of the wins, particularly uh, Dallas at Christmas night, the, the Mavericks are woefully shorthanded. The Jazz get down by 16. They come back and win the game. There's so many games that you play in the NBA. From a coaching standpoint, how do you know when to step on them, so to speak? Or how do you handle, I don't want to say lackadaisical efforts, but you're not playing at your best, but it's still December, and you still got so many games to go in terms of you know, how much do you get on them? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think in college where oftentimes we don't play nearly as many games, uh, we, we tend to – there seems to be more of a sense of urgency. I think, I think in the NBA, you recognize – especially this year, uh, with all the issues health-wise and injury-wise and things that are going on, uh, that you, I think you have to be, remain pretty level-headed here. And I think you just – if you're really transparent with your players – and you have that kind of relationship, and I know the Jazz have that kind of culture and relationship. 
I mean, you can talk through these things. And then there are times you need to get into guys when guys aren't giving effort and guys aren't prepared mentally. They're not t- taking care of their bodies like they need. But the Jazz are not a team that has a history of that. Uh, however, here, here's what's interesting. And I, I started thinking, I had a conversation with a guy the other day, and, and, and they go, how, how can this team lose to this team? And first of all, everybody in that league can play. And I, I think we underestimate if we don't see the star power and we don't know their names and we don't know where they went to school and they don't have a history, we just assume they can't play. There aren't, There's nobody in the NBA that can't play. And given an opportunity, they can go for 20 on a given night. And, and especially guys like that, which is happening all the time. Like every day you read, you read a game, a guy comes out averaging 4.7, goes for 26. And... I don't think they're. I don't think it's so much among the players. It could be a little bit, but for the fan base, you know, fan base can't figure this out. I mean, you know, because normally in a collegiate team, you got seven or eight guys, and the rest of the guys are just there to support the can't play. You know, I don't know what's the number now, sixteen or seventeen that you can carry on a roster in the NBA. And the fact is, those fourteenth and fifteenth guys are chomping at the bit to get in the game. No pressure on them, and and they wouldn't be in that roster unless they could play. Now they're not superstars. But guys can play in that league. And just because we don't know their names and we don't remember them seeing them playing. So I think it's probably more a fan base issue than it is. I'm pretty sure that coaches do a good job of understanding. But even as players, I think when you see six or seven guys missing, there's a mindset that changes a little bit. And as a coach, man, you've got to really work on that. Because all of a sudden, you know, you're down 14, you're down 15, and now everybody's got to you know, get reset, and we got to do a mental reset. We got to do a physical reset. Okay, we got to get back into this game. And there have just been so many games where teams that you never think would win games would because of all uh, the issues of missing players. But uh, it would be foolhardy to think. I'm not, especially talking to the fans. Just because you don't know them doesn't mean you go read their bios and they average 26 a game in college or they played in Europe. Uh, I, I think that's one thing that keeps the, the fans. They, they have a hard time dealing with that. Like, how, how can that happen? They're, down, they're missing the three top scorers. How could they win a game? How could San Antonio go in and just blow out the Lakers? Well, the Lakers being dysfunctional and all, but that's not a game that San Antonio probably should have gone and blown them out. And so, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's an issue. I, I think as a coaching staff, uh, it's a long season. You know, there's a lot of really great coaches in this league. I think guys are most concerned. Things I'm reading now, I've never read before in the paper. Effort. I, I can't tell you how many times now head coaches have come out and just disgusted with the effort, disgusted with the competitiveness. Well, a lot of that lends itself to guys missing, uh, being very inconsistent, guys getting in new roles, and, and when you're playing a, maybe even a different position than you normally play, it, it, it impacts confidence and it impacts effort. And those are the things you can control. You can control effort. And, but, if, you know, guys sitting there knocking shots, contesting shots now, you just do what you can do. But things like effort, attitude, being in the gym early, you're seeing more of that creeping out in the media now and hearing about it. And, and I'm sure it's aligned a lot with, with all the health protocols and everything going on. But still, uh, it, it's, it's a tough time right now. I mean, these guys are making lots of money and they got the greatest jobs in the world. But it, it is a very, very complex uh, atmosphere within the whole NBA itself. I mean, just never knowing who's going to play on any given night. And that sometimes lends itself to inconsistent play. And that's why the Jazz and 
Golden State and, you know, Phoenix teams that night in and night out haven't had to deal with a lot of protocol issues and they've stayed consistent. And those are, you know, your three best teams probably in, in the NBA right now. So besides the fact they have good coaching and really good players. And I think that's what it comes down to for a lot of Jazz fans because if you ask Jazz fans, and for that matter, if you ask me, they're not passing the eyeball test. I think they're much better than they look uh, in in the games they lose, and they're much better than they look in stretches of games they're winning. But then you turn around, Steve, they're 11-2 in the last 13 games. <laughs> I mean, that is awesome. That is a clip you would take that. Hey, Quinn, you want to win 11 in the next 13? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll sign off on that right now. So, But I think it comes down to that the Warriors and Suns are playing at a 65-win pace, and everybody wants the Jazz to win a championship. So as good as the Jazz look... They don't pass the eyeball test on what a championship team should look like. And it's only December, so you can't win the title anyway. But I think that's where the angst comes from. Yeah, and, and, and I think anytime people don't understand things, I'm talking about the public now, and there's a lot of things they don't understand what's going on and the, the preparation and the health protocols and the injuries. You know, we all get a little bit fearful about our team. You know, oh my, you know, the it's a panic button. What's going on? You know, and, and everybody's kind of losing their minds. But at the end of the day, the thing that those three teams all have is they have continuity in coaches. They have continuity in a system. They have continuity in guys that get along with each other. And let, let's not forget that when you're playing three games a week, I, I know they're professionals. They're in great shape, but that does take a toll on your body. And, and who, you know, we don't know about all the sicknesses and the little dings and little injuries. You only hear about serious stuff. But every guy out there for the Jazz, he's dealing with something. It's a tweaked knee. It's a calf muscle. It's, he's had a cold for two weeks, you know. And, and we look at them and as being such amazing athletes and specimens and capable of doing anything. But all that stuff's going on. And, and, and plus the fact they have lives at home and with wives and children and kids and extended family and all the pressures that go with that. So, yeah, sometimes we, we're not real patient. But uh, I think Utah's in a, in a great position. And you know what? Having Donovan, if Donovan misses a game or two, what a great opportunity for somebody else to step up and, and have that kind of growth and have that kind of opportunity. I don't know who that'll be, but they're, it's, I don't know if they're the most experienced team in the league in terms of time together, but they got to be one of the most. So I just – I think the one thing the Jazz have, besides having a great culture, good staff and everything, they, they've got guys that have been in the league that aren't going to overreact and panic. And so as a fan, I, I would, my suggestion to the fans is you don't need to panic. You know, you, you keep loving your team, keep being upset when they don't play well, all those things that fans get to do. But I think the Jazz are in a really, really good position. And, uh, you know, they, they've got a situation where, they, they can win all of these games. I mean, there's no question. I, I, this San Antonio game will be really, really difficult uh, because they're just playing with so much confidence. And, and most people in America couldn't name the starters, you know. And, and so it's, it's not a team of a bunch of names. Uh, you know, maybe Murray, uh, Murray is probably the most famous guy. Utah people recognize Pirtle. You know, the rest, the rest of the country has no idea who's playing for San Antonio. But they've... Come in here three and zero, uh, and and playing well. So don't be surprised if you know Jazz going to have to play well to beat San Antonio in San Antonio. There's no question about it. 
So I think you're trying to put out a message that says stay the course, but yet I know yeah. that Danny Ainge is over there. And he's <laughs> not necessarily prone to stay the course. What's your gut tell you about what he might do? You know, I, I know him as a really, really competitive person in all things in life. Okay, that's just that's his that's in his DNA. Uh, but I also know that he has been at the very highest of highs in that league as a player, as a in, you know, a GM, and all the things that come with that. But uh, I, I think he's going to bring great energy. I think he'll have ideas. They'll be fresh and new ideas because you're always looking for those kinds of things. But and I think he'll have a real positive influence. But I think he'll watch his step. I, I think he knows that even though he's certainly very, very, very qualified, they hired him to get his ideas and thoughts. And it's, it's, a, it's a guy that's got so much in his brain about this game and about coaching it and about managing it and doing all those things that he's going to get asked all the time. But I, I, I see Danny being a voice of reason. Uh, but I also see him being a guy that believes that there isn't anything this team can't do. I mean, that's one of the things in being around Danny is – and I'm not close friends with Danny Ainge. I've obviously been around him a number of times. But he he has a vision. Uh, you know, he, he, he's really good about uh, sharing that vision and helping people understand how they can accomplish things. He's very articulate that way. But I also don't see him being coming in there and, and, and being real demonstrative and all of a sudden being the loudest voice in, in the organization. I, I just I, I, That would shock me. But that being said, uh, I, I think from ownership to coaches and everybody, everybody believes in that organization they can win an NBA championship. And so that's sometimes going to require, you know, it might be fixed through the draft. It might be fixed through skill development. It might be fixed through schemes. It might be fixed through an attitude adjustment, culture things. I don't know. I mean, the Jazz seem really sound to me. And it seems like they've taken care of business at about every level. Uh, but injury here or there, no Donovan Mitchell. If you didn't have Donovan Mitchell for three or four weeks, it changes things. Guys, other guys have to step up, and uh, and that's what's happening on every other team. We, you know, it's easy to point, but there's been a lot of teams at eight, nine, ten guys in health protocols. Wow, that's hard to win games with that many guys out and that many new players. And you know, we've got these ten day guys coming in. I mean, it's just uh, you can't keep track of everybody anymore. That continuity thing you, you were talking about it really goes out the window and you lose 10 guys. <laughs> yes. Thanks, no, thanks for that. Hey, I wanted to ask you know, the, Go ahead. I wanted to ask you about uh, BYU going out to Hawaii, going 2-1. and one. Uh, Obviously, uh, Scotty Pippen Jr., they had no way to keep him away from the rim. Goes back to losing the two big guys, possibly. Uh, what kind of a ceiling does that put on BYU basketball? How much can they adjust to that down the line? Well, I, I think I thought, first of all, uh, and I watched those games, it, it kind of interesting that they didn't have a championship thing because yeah. of protocols. That's another thing that's probably never happened before. You know, I, I, I think the one thing that BYU is missing, obviously, is a presence inside. Now, I, and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce his name well, but the Traore kid uh, from Mali, a freshman, 6'6". He might only be 6'5". I mean, he... He is such a load in there, and he continues to get better. Gideon George, who has a little bit of size, is getting better. Loner, you know, Loner had he, – he continues to be really consistent. I, I kind of thought a year ago that his ceiling would be much higher at this point in time. Offensively, I thought he could take over games. Uh, 
Uh, and the, and the one thing that BYU, the four guards, I mean, Nell and Spencer Johnson, the two kids that can shoot it, and, and, and having Alex Marcello and having two point guards, uh, you're, you're in a situation where they're really good against teams that have athleticism and quickness because they match up. And, and sometimes you'd rather not play smaller teams because it really stretches the floor. But I think that there are going to be times that they're going to miss Howard. They're going to miss uh, Baxter because – they don't have that presence at the rim. But Traore is just an absolute beast inside, and he's just getting better every day. But it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. And I look at BYU, and you're, you're talking USF has a really good team this year. I've watched them play just because they played a couple of California teams. Like Gonzaga, we obviously know is good. St. Mary's is kind of what they always are, and BYU. So there's not a lot of stuff. Even Santa Clara is a little bit better this year. So there's a little more depth. The bottom of the bottom of the WCC is not great, but uh, this you know BYU needs to win the games that they're supposed to win, and uh, and, I'm, and I and I like watching BYU play, uh, but but it's one of those things that it's difficult to score inside, and uh, and I think because there's a presence there, and defensively, I think you know that game the, the adjustments you know. He scored his last. He scored the last 16 points in that game, uh, in that game. So you know, just making those kind of adjustments, having people at the rim, it was fun games to watch. I thought Vanderbilt ran good stuff, and uh, they, they did a lot of you know. There was a little bit of Princeton, a little bit of Air Force stuff. Uh, they were really intellectually and just to watch conceptually. I love watching them play, but you know, BYU had obviously had an opportunity to win that game and. There were some fouls at the end, maybe that weren't called. But you don't have a, a, a lot of significant scoring, guys that can just take over games. Marcello can do that. Marcello can do that. But the other guys are kind of more role guys that knock threes down when they're open. I, I will say this for, for BYU. They continue to defend, and, and their game plans are always really, really solid. And, uh, and they, they're going to keep themselves in every game just because they can really guard and they play hard. But – they, I'm, you know, in terms of winning the WCC without those two bigs, in terms of, you know, getting into the NCAA tournament, I think they can get into the NCAA tournament, but I don't think they can do it if they've got five or six losses. So they're going to need to beat everybody they're supposed to beat. Gonzaga is Gonzaga. Uh, we'll see what San Francisco's like and how good they really are. But I do like the toughness of this group. They're always together. Uh, it was it was kind of just a strange thing to watch that tournament and not see a championship game. But Scottie Pippen Jr., he's pretty good. And uh, I didn't know a lot about him until I watched the tournament. And I really like Vanderbilt. And uh, I just like the stuff they ran. And it, it's just, it, was, it wasn't so consistent with, because we're in a, collegiate basketball, is, it's, everything's about, you know, the dribble and it's, it's very little post-up stuff. Very little uh, kind of screening action for guys. Everything comes off the dribble and how people read it and react to it, whether we penetrate and whatever else we do with it. So it's fun to watch Vanderbilt do things a little bit differently. I enjoy watching their team play. Uh, but BYU saw it. I mean, they don't, they, they don't typically beat themselves. And I, I think they're going to get into the NCAA tournament. But it's not going to be easy because conference play is always more difficult. But I do like the toughness of BYU's team. I mean, they, they, they got tough guys. And they're, they're going to, they got mentally tough and physically tough guys. They just don't have the size they've had in the past. 
Well, Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again in a week. All right, guys. Have a good one. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, the best of the postgame show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get it done. They get the win in San Antonio. That is seven in a row. Let's check in with the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Jazz win over the Spurs. 110 to 104. No Donovan Mitchell, no problem. Jazz got a big night out of Jordan Clarkson off the bench. 29 points, eight boards, five assists, and a steal. For Jordan Clarkson, the Jazz had six players in double figures. Bogdanovich with 19, Rudy Gobert 16, 13, and three blocks. Uh, uh, Joe Ingles stepped into the starting lineup for Donovan Mitchell. He had 17, 3, and 3. Whiteside with 13 uh, coming in off the bench. Conley had 12 in this one, but the Jazz come away with the win. Let's get to some postgame sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Coach, can you um, you know expand on... Uh, you guys effort defensively, just especially since the uh, the start of the second quarter, uh, you guys were able to lock lock down, get stops. What were you doing uh, correctly? What did you want to see? Um, uh, what do you want to see in the future? Kind of keep improving. Well, I think you know some of the some of the actions that they were playing out of, whether it was pick and roll, you know, or, or you know dribble handoffs. Uh, they really cut with a lot of force. And, you know, I, I thought earlier in the game, you know, when they turned the corner, th- those looks were too open. Um, and a lot of that had had to do with our aggressiveness switching, you know, our aggressiveness up on the ball and just competing. I thought, you know, we raised our level. I thought b- both Hassan and Rudy, you know, switching on to some of those drivers. Um, is important and makes those shots hard. And then, you know, from the weak side, we started to pull in and, and help on the glass. If they're going to do that, we really have to have their back on the glass because you know, it can be frustrating for those guys to come give help and then see their man, you know, get an offensive rebound. But, you know, I think we had, you know, a stretch during that time too where, we really were good in transition. You know, they, they do an excellent job of pushing the ball up the court and we didn't allow them, you know, to get those early threes. I, I think when, you know, they really cut into the lead, you know, that that's where it came from. It came from transition threes where we weren't quite as, as sharp getting back. So, you know, that's going to continue to be important for us, whether it be, you know, getting back in transition and communicating. Um, and then also, you know, defending those actions and, you know, really making sure that we're able to close possessions. Cause when we, when we close a possession, particularly with a, a guard rebound off a drive, it gives us an opportunity to get out the other way. Quinn, uh, what would you say would be the, the next development that you'd like to see from Trent? Well, you know, I think with Trent, you know, there's, like any young player, there's certain things, um, you know, that you want to work on. They're going to, they're going to impact, you know, your performance, um, in the role that you have currently. And then there's other things that you continue to work on, um, to continue to develop, um, that are things that maybe you're not asked to do, you know, in the moment. Uh, but, 
are also going to be important. So uh, his ability to drive the ball, you know, I think for him to continue to do that, particularly, you know, if people are going to go under on him in pick and roll at times, he can get a rescreen and still get to the paint and find people. Um, defensively, I just want him to keep doing what he's doing. I mean, he, he's, he's unique defensively with his length and also with his instincts. Um, and then, you know, we want him to keep shooting the ball with confidence. And that's something that, you know, he gets a ton of reps on that and, and that's going to continue to be something he works on. And, um, but he does have the ability, you know, even if people are closing out short, uh, you know, to, to get by and to get in the lane and he's so poised in the lane. So, um, I guess more of the same. And like a lot of our guys, I think, you know, the more reps you get, the more time you're in the league, you know, you've seen that with Royce, you've seen it with Joe, um, you know, your, your shooting continues to improve as you work on it and, you know, you take game shots and you get reps. So, you know, that's something obviously that, that we talk to him about and he's aware of and he's working on. Uh, Quinn, when Jordan was as frustrated as he is with, you know, kind of the, the fan, the, the refereeing, what do you do as a coach to kind of either calm him down or get him back in the game? I mean, kind of what, what's your role there? Well, you know, they had the, the one situation, you know, where someone was saying some things to him that, that you know, let's just say they weren't appropriate. And, you know, you're always appreciative when you're on the road and, you know, the home team and security, you know, protects your players in that respect. And, and that's what happened. I think, you know, once those things get handled, it's easier for a player just to move on. And, um, you know, he plays with a lot of emotion, you know, a lot of passion. Um, and I, I think frankly, you know, he's a guy that, you know, when some of those things do happen, you know, he's able to settle himself. And, uh, but again, you know, whether it's, you know, bringing him over and taking a deep breath or just getting to the next play. Um, it's something that, that I think because of the way that he plays, um, he finds himself in those situations a lot, not just um, from something externally from a fan or from an opponent, but he's so competitive and demands so much of himself um, that his ability to, you know, not rush and not get too down on himself um, if a shot doesn't go in, it's something, you know, that he's aware of. And, um, as I said, I, I don't want him to, to compromise his passion in any way. And, you know, I think he does a really good job of that, you know, and, and one thing is just that we talk about is just, you know, throwing yourself into the defense and, you know, throwing yourself opportunities on the offensive boards and, you know, creating for his teammates. And those are kind of go-to things to him or for him, I should say, that, you know, that really have an impact on the game and help our team. Hugh, just nine made threes tonight, just 31 attempts tonight. Um, what was working for you guys so well inside the arc on this occasion? Well, you know, I, we talked about that after the game. I, I think, you know, different teams are going to provide, um, you know, different opportunities and different reads. And, you know, they've been a team that's been very committed to not allowing our bigs to, to get behind them where we have, you know, anything at the rim. Um, and then they're really staying with shooters. So when you do get in the paint, you know, some of the traditional things we're looking for, whether it's a lob, you know, or a kick out for a three, those are things they're taking away. Um, and it puts us in a position where, 
you know, there's more space in the lane for guys to finish. And then just a real emphasis on, you know, what we call feet and fakes. She's playing off two feet, um, having poise to ball fake and move people around, you know, and not have to commit too soon when you get into the lane, which is, you know, a lot easier for me to say that than for a player out there that's attacking with such force and speed, you know, to have that level of poise and control. Um, but that that's what we saw tonight. And, you know, that's where, you know, the majority of our buckets came from is attacking the paint and, and obviously having some success getting to the line as well. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team wins on the road 110 to 104 over the San Antonio Spurs. Let's uh, move on to the players. Here's Rudy Gobert. Hey, Rudy. Uh, first off, you know, congratulations. Uh, top 50 NBA history and blocks. What is, you know, accomplishing that sort of achievement? What does that mean to you? I mean, thank you. First of all, um, I mean, it's, it's great. You know, I would, uh, when, growing up, I would have never thought that, you know, my name would be, would be up there. So it's, uh, you know, looking, looking back at the journey and, you know, all the, uh, all the hard work and, you know, the dedication and, you know, being able to, you know, be mentioned with all those great names. It's, uh, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, it's only going up from here. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great blessing. Eric Walden. Hey, Rudy. So once again, against the Spurs, you guys have kind of a quiet night from three-point range. What was working so well at the rim and, and inside the arc for you guys tonight? The, the, the whole game plan is to take away, try to take away our threes, you know, so uh, they just force us to play a little more of the two-on-two situation and uh, force our guys into, you know, taking that, you know, taking that, that, that little mid-range or that little, that little layup and, and they force us to, you know, to, to also move the ball and play multiple actions. And I thought we did a great job tonight, you know, attacking on the, uh, moving the ball, driving them. And, uh, you know, every time they collapse, find the open man. And, uh, you know, we were able to score in transition also because of our defense. Sarah Todd. Uh, yeah, Rudy, um, when you're looking at a guy like Trent, who kind of has to take on a little bit more of an extended role with Donovan being out, what is it that you'd like to see from him uh, more as the as the days go on, as he gets more opportunity? I think just being a, just being a dog defensively, obviously, and, and offensively, just be, a, just be a point guard. You know, be, be a little more vocal. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to push him to be – you know, to be that, that point guard, that, that guy that, you know, kind of like uh, organize uh, the game a little bit for us offensively when, when Mike is out. And, uh, you know, yeah, just, just try to push him, you know, push him to, to be that guy. And, you know, he's been, he's been getting better and better. So, you know, every time he steps on the court, he's, he's, he's been able to, to, to impact the game in a, in a good way. And, uh, and you know, and uh, Sam is, is only going to get better. So it's exciting. Andy Larson. Rudy, you guys really locked down on the on the rebounds tonight and then not allowing them any free throws. And, and you know, that had been a kind of a problem in the last games is that you had given up those easy points. So kind of what was the difference? Um, our discipline was, was better. You know, we, I mean, I thought we did a great job showing our hands, you know, not reaching down. And, uh, and we did a, we did a great job running back on in transition for the most part of the game. You know we 
we didn't allow them to 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 get going with with transition and uh, and with offensive rebounds. And we knew that you know they 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 have a very athletic team, so they they, they thrive on on those. When they don't get those, you know, we we try to force them into tough shots. Uh, in Utah, they made a lot of tough shots. Tonight, they, they didn't make as much. So, you know, we're about to get those stops. That's Rudy, 16, 13, and 3. And uh, with those three block shots, Rudy moves into the top 50 in all-time blocks in NBA history. So congratulations to Rudy. Let's now hear from Trent Forrest. Trent, I know, I know that uh, you haven't had time to, like, look at the film or anything yet, but how would you assess how you played tonight? Um, I would say I played, I mean, pretty decent. Um Tried to do kind of what our game plan was. Um, I mean, yeah, that's kind of how I would say I played. I, I played pretty solid um, for the minutes that I, that I was in. Is there anything different that you're told on a night when Donovan Mitchell isn't going to be playing and you're going to get kind of an extended run? Um, no, nah, not really. Um, I mean, kind of just been the same how it is all year. Um I mean, they'll kind of let me know when I'm going in. That's kind of about it. But other than that, everything is kind of the same. Uh, Eric Walton. Trent, what makes the Spurs so good at limiting your guys' number of three-point attempts and kind of what have, what were your counters to that? Yeah. Um, they have big wings, so they can match up with us pretty well. Um, and, I mean, they have a big that's pretty good at kind of playing both on the pick and roll. So I would say um, that was a big part of it is just they knew we were going to try to get the roll and they were staying with Rudy and also long enough to uh, get back to the shooters as well. After the game, Quinn talked about how your defensive feel and kind of how you kind of understand that side of the ball really well. And I'm curious kind of where that came from. You know, was that Florida State or was there a coach there that really helped you or in high school? I mean, kind of where did you kind of learn that defensive feel as, as much as you as you have it? Um, I honestly don't know. I guess it somewhat came natural. And then at Florida State, I mean, we obviously had to play defense there. So um, I would say probably just kind of being in that system and it, somewhat coming natural um just kind of knowing body angles things like that i would say it's probably what helps me the most um so i would say yeah both a little bit of the body angles and just coming through a florida state system where you kind of had to play defense All right sarah go ahead a couple of weeks ago we were talking to donovan and he was saying that you know sometimes he has to tell you like be aggressive go up and actually try to score do you do you feel like you're a little bit more passive because you know you've got so many weapons around you? Um, Definitely. Um, I mean, it's hard to – I'm not going to say make the right decision because, I mean, you have – like when I go in, it's usually JC, Joe, um, Rudy, um, and then either Rudy Gay or Boyan. So it's like – I mean, I could get my own, but at the same time, like I know I have these guys around me and they're good at what they're doing. They get paid to do that. So – um I mean, I'm not going, I guess, try to find a happy medium between both of them, but not Don. And a lot of them are always kind of on me about just being more aggressive, trying to get to the basket, things like that. 
There's Trent Forrest uh, with the absence of Donovan Mitchell. Trent played 20 minutes, uh, came away with four rebounds, a couple of assists, did not score, went 0 for 2. But uh, if Donovan's going to miss tomorrow night's game against Portland, I would imagine Trent uh, gets similar minutes there as it looks like he'll kind of pick those up as uh, the rotation shortens a bit. Let's now wrap things up by hearing from Jordan Clarkson. Hey, JC, can you kind of let us know what happened with that that fan? Uh, I mean, he just was a... Just kept saying stuff, kept saying stuff uh, throughout the whole game. I, I was I usually have like dialogue, playful dialogue with people from the uh, like in the stands, especially like people courtside. Another guy was sitting there doing the same thing, but I knew it wasn't harmful. Uh, but then uh, I guess it was a timeout happened, and I, you know, the guy just keeps antagonizing me, and then like almost challenges me, like, "What you gonna do?" Uh, after you know saying a bunch of stuff. Um, but you know, man, I, I I make money. I ain't trying to lose no money. I'm gonna lose more money than he gonna lose. He's probably gonna get kicked out of the game. Uh, but you know, it's we playing basketball, uh, having a good time. Fans gotta learn. You know, we human. We people too. Um, you know, you know stuff like that just can't fly, uh, especially on the NBA floor where you know guys are doing their job. It's like somebody coming up to. Uh, somebody at like McDonald's, and then they just keep uh, nagging somebody that's that's working the fries. Uh, you just keep keep nagging and keep nagging, and you challenge them like, "What you gonna do?" It's just like just no room for that. You know, we we come here to entertain and uh, play basketball, uh, compete, and uh, put on a show. Not not trying to uh, deal with fans and uh, you know them being too drunk or being whatever. Um, at the games, you know, trying to start anything. Did he say something that like crossed the line, or you know, was it just kind of like all that like challenging you at kind of at the end of the game? Yeah, it, it did cross the line. That's where I was walking away initially, and then he said something again, and I turned back around, and then he said it again, and I'm just like, "What's going on?" <laughs> like, but like, literally, it was a guy sitting right next to him the whole game. Doing stuff, doing different stuff, but I knew it was playful. Me and him kept winking at each other, and then like, but this guy was just a little bit too malicious for whatever he was saying. Uh, at one point, I just kind of just blacked out, and I kind of was taking a step towards him. And, um, but like I said, man, I don't want no problems with nobody. I'm, I'm in the league. I make a lot of money. He ain't gonna lose no money. I'm gonna end up losing a lot of money. Be sitting out games and NBA. I lose a meal. I could put that in my my daughter's pocket, and she could go buy a Bugatti or something if, if she wanted to, man. I ain't trying to lose no money. I'm, I'm, I don't want no problems. I ain't got no problems with nobody. So I'm just out here having fun, trying to compete uh, in a safe environment. That's, that's uh, good for us. Quinn was talking about how passionate you are during games and how, you know, kind of competitive you are. And it's funny when you're off the court, you're kind of easygoing guy and on the court, you're, you're really competitive. So how do you balance kind of those sides of your personality and kind of where do you, you know, how do you play the game in, in the most effective way? Um, no, I just got to, it's just, you know, emotional basketball, just straight passion. You know, I love to play. I love to have fun. Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, my personality when I'm on the floor, I'm playing hard. Uh, you know, when stuff on the floor is going crazy, you see me approach refs and everything like tonight, uh, you know, with the 
I think it was her first game tonight. You know, a lot of people were giving her stuff, but after the game, I think she did a great job. You know, I went up to her, gave her a hug, and uh, was like, man, I ain't ever seen you before. She's like, y'all, this is my first game. So, um, you know, it's just all love. It's part of competition. Like I said, it's part of the performance, part of the show. It's part of the NBA. You know, this is what we're here to do. Um, you know, I just – you know, channel my emotions during games, but, you know, it's the same thing that keeps me going through the game. It's just showing my passion and love. JC, what do the Spurs do that's so effective at kind of keeping you guys um, off the three-point line? And then you guys had a lot of success inside it tonight. Uh, you guys were extremely efficient from two-point range. So, what what do they do that's that's good at keeping you off it? And then what were your what were your good counters tonight? Um, staying home, and then uh, staying home on all our shooters really, and then really trying to uh, keep Rudy off the glass. I think we've seen that a lot, where guys are kind of uh, double team blocking them out. It's almost like you see in football when they like double uh, Aaron McDonald. Um, when he's when he's trying to blitz the quarterback, uh, very similar to that, um, and, you know, forcing us uh, to finish those shots uh, in the paint over over guards and stuff like that. But that was, um, you know, we seen teams do that uh, around the league. Uh, but I think tonight was uh, our defense really helped us really a lot. You know, hold them under a hundred points. I think. Um, well, no, they had 102. They made that late run at the end. But, <clears throat> but yeah, just holding them uh, defensively. Jordan, you know, how do you balance the, you know, just uh, the emotion of the game and, and trying to um, trying to keep uh, even enough kill that you execute from play to play, um, you know, and, and try to limit mistakes, you know, in games like, you know, for example, like, you know, the, the all-around game that you had, right? You know, but you were frustrated for, you know, three possessions and those three possessions where you didn't get back, it led to, right. three, to, to open corner threes. How do you how do you process all of that and, and try to keep an even kill, you know, while you're doing it? Uh, I mean, timeouts definitely help. The stoppage of the game and kind of me getting myself together. But, um. You know, we just got to keep it to you playing. Uh, that's it. It is tough sometimes. Uh, like I said, I, I'm very passionate and uh, very aggressive um, in the game. But like I said, man, just coming and kind of just leveling myself out. Uh, sometimes just kind of getting off the ball and you know letting plays happen. Uh, let my teammates make plays and um, kind of re not relax, but kind of just you know feel my way through that through that time when I'm like really hyped up and like super aggressive and like, man, I want to score on them. Um, it's gotta be a, it's a thing in, in inside me that I kind of just kind of, uh, you know, really just slow down and take a deep breath and uh, figure it out from there. Okay. We have time for a very quick one, Sarah. Follow up. Jordan, we're talking to, uh, to Trent a little bit and he had, he'd mentioned uh, Donovan mentioned this a couple of weeks ago too, that he has to kind of tell Trent to be more aggressive and to try to get his own at the rim sometimes. Is that something that you guys, I mean, especially with Donovan not playing that you guys are telling him like, go ahead and get your, even though he's got a bunch of weapons out there, he knows yeah. that. Yeah, no, for sure. Especially like, 
tonight. I know he he gets like uh, a lot from me because I'm always Trent, Trent, Trent. But um, you got Son saying and then Joe. We all kind of like, but we do trust him uh, to make the right plays and finish at the rim. You know, he's a long. He does a lot for us on defense. He does a lot for us offensively running the team. Um, but yeah, sometimes you got to keep the defense honest, shoot those floaters, uh, and keep continuing to play hard. I think he has a, a great game, a great pace to himself. Um, that's amazing. It works for us. Uh, you know, tonight he played 20 minutes. He didn't score, but he affected the game so much. Um, you know, every time he kind of passes it to me, I try to shoot it so he get an assist. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's great, though. Um, Trent is doing a great job. There is Jordan Clarkson. He led the Jazz in scoring last night, 23 points. But you got to love Jordan grabbing eight boards and also dishing out five assists. Up next, the Jazz will take on the Portland Trailblazers tomorrow night in Portland. No Donovan Mitchell for that game either. It will tip off at 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 7. There is the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Conley, tight curl through the lane, gets down, bounces to Rudy. He'll grab it with a left hand, then throw it through for two. Clarkson works the right side, gets free, fires the three, tickles the twine. Bogdanovich, another hard drive. This time he floats it up and in on the left wing, and he'll buy it, and he'll get one free. Gobert, about three feet out, try to turn around jumper, no good. Clarkson will fly in for the rebound and tap it up and in with a little bit artistic pleasure from Jordan Clarkson right there. Highlights is the Utah Jazz making four wins in a row. 12 of the last 14. Seven straight on the road. They beat the Spurs 110-104. Jordan Clarkson with 23 points. No Donovan Mitchell. And the Jazz get it done anyway, PK. Mitchell was there. He was tweeting like crazy. And they were reading <laughs> every one of them. He was. He thought it was pretty funny when uh, when uh, Royce O'Neal got dropped to his knees by Yaka Pertle. But he had plenty of other comments throughout the game. I didn't read any of them. None of them? I was not on Twitter during the game, no. Didn't read them. I mean, I saw them. They put them on screen, but I I didn't know. I wasn't looking at Twitter. Clarkson with 23 off the bench. Hassan Whiteside with another strong game off the bench. 13 points, 8 rebounds in 19 minutes. The 3 wasn't falling, PK, but it was like they could hear your voice. Stop shooting the three. Attack the rim. They got a lot of laps, a lot of dunks. Created a lot of uh, free throws. Got into the paint. Got to the line. A lot of so things went well for them. Were they good at the ones? Uh, they were pretty good at the ones. Yeah, 23 of 30, 76, almost 77%. That's decent. Not great. 80%. Then you really start thinking, oh, you're really shooting it now. But high 70s is good. Yeah, and like we talked about the night before, the Spurs were unbelievably hot. They weren't going to continue that in two consecutive games, so you love to see that the night before. Have some teams shoot out of its mind. Please shoot 50% the night before we get there. Then you can shoot 33%, which is what the Spurs did. They hit 10 of their 33-pointers. They were terrible at the ones. Four of nine, not good. No. Jazz off tonight. They play the Blazers in Portland tomorrow. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. 
We're down to the final five seconds. Here is Zach Levine against Reddish. Right elbow, the fade for three. Yes! Onions, baby onions! Zach Levine with his fifth triple of the first half. Bars for a three. It's short, no good. Rebounded by Mills. Pass ahead. Harden never got back. He's uncontested, and he dunks it with a left hand. Ja drives into the paint. Ja off the glass and in! Ja Morant hesitates in the air. Gets it to go with .5 left. And the Grizzlies are on top. 114 to 113. Ja Morant with the basket. He's got 33 and none bigger than that one. And the Grizzlies beat the Suns 114-113. That John Morant shot is the game winner. A rare loss for the Suns, but the Grizzlies get it done, despite 30 points from Devin Booker. Yeah, the Suns are without two starters. I mean, everything is a qualifier now. Yeah, Who's no Aiden. protocol? Aiden and Crowder are both out. Monty Williams is out. I mean, you got you got to look towards this now. And they, they what, they reduce the... Uh, protocol time from 10 days to 6 or something. Yep, so you can come back faster if you're asymptomatic. Coin came up heads on that one. Seemed like they're just swatting flies in the dark, but what do I know? You also heard in their highlights as the uh, Nets got the win over the Clippers 124-108. The Clippers, another team, shorthanded, missing guys to injury. James Harden went off, 39 points, 15 assists as the Nets Tops in the East pick up the win over the Clippers, who you would assume are going to uh, struggle now. They are back to 500, fifth in the West, but could see them uh, see them drop from there now that they're without not only Kawhi Leonard but Paul George also. Mavericks blow out the Blazers. Jazz are playing the Blazers in Portland on Wednesday. Kristaps Porzingis had 34 for Dallas. Mavericks win by 15, 132, 117. Portland stinks. They're they 13 do. and 20. Yeah. They're they're not even in not only are they not in playoff territory, they're not even in that uh four fourteen play in uh place. They're they're not even in the top ten in the West. Greg Monroe playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves, five hundred and forty one players with uh with injuries and COVID protocols, the guys coming and going. That's a record number of players now appearing in uh NBA games. So Greg Monroe is back, baby. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Kamara, the running back. Dolphins show eight guys. Pick six. It's pick off. Wow, it's Needham. Needham down the sidelines. A pick six. Touchdown, Miami. Talk about the defense coming through. Trips to the left. Now they put Lindsey back in the backfield. They got it on the inside. The Waddle. Waddle touchdown. Book back to throw. Getting pressure, and he gets away from uh, Baker downfield, and it's intercepted. Yes, and it's oh no, I'm sorry. No, it's Brandon Jones. Brandon up. Okay, it's Brandon Jones. I thought it was Xavier. Ian Book with a couple of interceptions. His second pass deflected a little bit at the line and turned into a pick six. And Miami beats the Saints twenty to three. Book gets sacked eight times. Miami in control of that game, just picking their spots, and they get the win. They are now in a four-way tie for the last wild-card spot in the AFC at the moment. They've got the tiebreakers, but that changes week by week, so we'll see if they can hold on down the stretch. And for the Saints, that loss, they are no longer tied for the last wild-card spot in the NFC. Their their postseason hopes in trouble, but 
That is the fourth different quarterback they have had to start this year and had a graphic up during the game. 54 different players have started. The roster is usually 53. So Saints have had their issues, and they get beat in the Monday Night Football game. Yeah, when do we decide that this season is bogus in this regard? Come on. Taysom Hill, he just a bit have been very, very sick in order that they rule him out. I don't know what his status is. Maybe he is very, very sick. But if he's got nothing, wow. Because they had to start a fourth-string quarterback who was clearly overmatched. And a lot of quarterbacks would be in trouble getting sacked eight times, but Taysom would have done better than that. Every fourth-team quarterback is overmatched. That's why he's the 14th quarterback. Who's never thrown an NFL pass before he steps out there on Monday Night Football. 49ers starting quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, torn ligament, fractured bone in his right throwing hand. His status for the remainder of the season is currently up in the air. Head coach Kyle Shanahan said the injury occurred in the second quarter of the loss to Tennessee. Jimmy G finished the game, missed a wide-open TD pass, threw a couple interceptions with other passes going awry, and apparently his thumb all sorts of jacked up, but he tried to give it a go, and they ended up getting beat. Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll telling reporters he doesn't believe the franchise needs a restart after their worst season more than a decade winds down. Not for one reason at all am I thinking that we have to restart this whole thing and create a new philosophy and a new approach and all that. Of course he would say that because if it was, that was required, he wouldn't be there. Ooh, restart with a new head coach. Pete Carroll totally opposed to that. That's like uh, you want diversity in hiring as long as it's not your yeah, job. <laughs> <laughs> Adam somebody. Silver, he wanted to see more female refs. Well, I want to see a female commissioner. Hey, now. <laughs> DJ and PK. <laughs> Hashtag college football. He's the total package. He's everything you, you, you want to see. I can just already picture him playing for, like, the Steelers or the Patriots and, like, one of those guys that people are like, where'd that guy come from? Oh, yeah. He's playing for nine, ten years as a, as a starting linebacker for Bill Belichick. He, he's that kind of guy. A tremendous leader, incredibly motivated, came back this year to win the Pac-12 and get to the Rose Bowl. Like, if you can't pull for Devin Lloyd, you don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's been great, very kind of representative of who this Utah team team is this year and I'm excited to to get to Pasadena and have a chance to to see them and the Buckeyes go go toe-to-toe. That's ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet talking about the youth star linebacker Devin Lloyd in advance of the Rose Bowl game which Herbstreet will be in the booth for so he likes himself some Devin Lloyd there went on for quite a bit in his media availability yesterday about uh, Devin Lloyd. Well, if he plays 10 years for Bill Belichick, that would put Bill Belichick at 79 years of age. <laughs> He's just cranky enough to pull that off. Ohio State's going to be without four standout players in the Rose Bowl. Two of their top three receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, are not going to play. Offensive lineman Nicholas Pettit-Ferrer will not play. Defensive lineman Haskell Garrett has also opted out. All four of those guys headed to the NFL draft. So they aren't going to play. we got the question up on Facebook. We'll get your reaction to that news coming up. But PK, two of the top three receivers out. Not, not to underestimate the impact the losing offensive and defensive linemen have, but those receivers are awesome, and two of the three aren't going to play. This taints the Rose Bowl. This is a first. Congratulations, Ohio State. And Kurt Herbstreet met with uh, not just Rose Bowl media, any media, yeah. I guess. It was about 35 minutes I was on it yesterday. I didn't ask any questions. I listened. And right at the end, uh, the uh, I think somebody maybe from Ohio, I'm not sure, 
uh, who the question was, uh, Trevor Allen, our KSL guy, asked a question, and then they went and asked about the Ohio State uh, defections or opt-outs. And uh, Kirk went off. Uh, he really would have had some strong opinion. I'm writing about this. It'll be posted at KSL this morning. And, uh, wow, this is... It's a shame. This is this is unbelievable, and we'll, we'll get to it. I mean, Kirk, Kirk Mega had some great points that I want to bring up. All right, we will have that coming up in our next segment. Uh, more bowl games impacted. The Arizona Bowl is off. Boise State pulled out of that bowl game due to COVID-19 issues within the program. Central Michigan was going to be the opponent, but because Miami pulled out of the Sun Bowl, Central Michigan will now take the four-hour trip from Tucson over to El Paso. And they will get a much bigger payday to play Washington State in the Sun Bowl. Instead of three hundred and fifty grand for a game that was going to be streamed on Barstool Sports, four point five five million. Yeah, for a game that'll be on uh, CBS on New Year's Eve, and they'll get to play Washington State. So, the Arizona Bowl is the fourth bowl game canceled so far. This is the. On top of that, there's two more bowl games where the matchup has changed. So, there you go. New Oregon head coach Dan Lanning will call plays as Georgia's defensive coordinator against Michigan in the playoff. So he will still be there as Georgia tries to win it all. And like the NBA, the ACC announced Monday it'll add a shorter isolation option for vaccinated individuals to its medical advisory group report. So there you go. That is what is trending. Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job. Too big or too small? Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, next segment, you'll hear from Kirk Herbstreit. Get your reaction to the news that Ohio State's got four starters who aren't going to be playing in the Rose Bowl. Rod joins us now from Lendright Mortgage. Rod Rex back with us once again. Rod, Good morning. Good morning. You're here now to help people tap the equity. The end of the year, people want to make some big financial decisions right here, right now. You've got a little bit of advice for them. Yeah, right now is definitely the best time we've had in a lot of years to be able to tap into that equity just because of that record increase in home values. So with the new 2022 loan limits in place, you can get a conventional loan up to $647,200. So if you're looking to do any major purchases, uh, pull some money out to remodel, do an addition, or consolidate any debt, uh, now is definitely the time to do it just because as we move into 2022, the Federal Reserve has already said they're going to hike their federal funds rate at least three times. So higher interest rates are on the way. So right now you want to get that money out while rates are still so low. Not everybody's good with math, and not everybody's good with math while they're driving in the morning either. So when the rates go up, how much cash does that mean out of people's pocket? What, how, much, how, much, how many total dollars is that going to turn in? You got a couple examples? Yeah. If you look at a $400,000 loan on a 30-year term, uh, if you compare right now, you can get a cash-out rate of even in the, in the high twos. Uh, but if you compare, let's just say, an even 3% interest rate, you'll pay a total of $87,000 less in interest over the life of the loan if you compare that to rates of 4%. And if you go up to a rate in the fives, that's a difference of $166,000 in interest paid. So literally tens of thousands of dollars in interest paid 
to lock in that low rate where where we're at right now. Everybody's situation is a little different. If they want to uh, follow up with you right now and, and get some information and answer some questions about their individual situation, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, best way to uh, do that. We've got a team that can run your individual scenario, shop all of our lenders, and you can get a hold of them by calling 801 Approve or log on at lendrightmortgage.com. All right, online at lendrightmortgage.com or 801 Approve. 801 Approve. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. This is Unright. You guys are doing a hell of a job. Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch covering the Ohio State Buckeyes. What matters is the playoffs. And if you're not in the playoffs, everything else is kind of an afterthought. But if you're not going to be in the playoffs, and look, only four teams are in it. There are a lot of consolation prizes. If you have to have one of the consolation prizes, this is the best one to have if you're an Ohio State fan or a Big Ten fan. Because there is something still special about just saying, you're going to Pasadena, you're going to play in that Rose Bowl. There's so much history, so much tradition with that. And, and for most of Ohio State's existence, playing and winning in the Rose Bowl was the ultimate. Unbelievable! Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hot Takes Your Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment. Or visit www.utahairmd.com. All right, PK, we got time for the question of the day here. And we got people on our uh, social media here, Facebook reacting to the how sad is it that several Ohio State players are opting out in the Rose Bowl. Let's hear from Kirk Herbstreet. You mentioned it in the last segment, but for people just joining us, uh, he had a media availability, and there were a lot of questions about the playoff games, but also about there was some about the Rose Bowl, and, and that's when uh, he got going and definitely got your attention. I just don't buy into this, this narrative of meaningless bowl games. These teams have always had goals. The high-profile teams have always had goals to get to the championship or to get to a certain bowl. Um, and it doesn't happen all that often. But you don't throw in the towel and say, well, we didn't accomplish our goals, so we're not real happy about going to this bowl, but you know, we're going we're gonna to go. Uh, I was on a team that did that. We lost to Michigan in 1990. And back in those days, you fell way down and we went to the Liberty Bowl and we had players on our team that were basically bad mouthing the city of Memphis and the Liberty Bowl publicly to the media. And we went down to Memphis and they they hated us. And I don't blame them, you know, for the things that were said um, after that Michigan loss. To me, I get being upset. I get like, hey, we didn't accomplish our goal. We didn't beat our rival. We didn't go to the Big Ten Championship. We didn't go to the playoff. Um, But, hey, man, we're going to the Rose Bowl. Like, it's the Rose Bowl. You know, we used to have to try to deal with the consolation prize of the Citrus Bowl. But this is the Rose Bowl. And, you know, maybe these players that, that are struggling to understand it, maybe when they get out there and they get out on that field, maybe it'll it'll dawn on them like why this bowl is different or why it's unique. Um, and I, I hope they do. You know, I, I, I get being disappointed, but you got to shake it off and move on to the next game, you know, and, and get the bad taste out of your mouth. I, I just, 
it, it's not like because we have a playoff that teams before a playoff didn't achieve their goals and still went to play at their bowl game and look forward to it. I, I, I don't get it. I never will. If you're a competitor, you like to play in a game and let, let alone a hundred thousand seat stadium and a rating, a ranking or a TV rating that'll be as high as a semifinal. Um, my God, there's the, the tradition, which I know doesn't today's player doesn't really get that. But uh, I think you do once you get there and you, you get into that stadium, I think you start to feel it a little bit more, but I, I hope this isn't our new norm. I, I hope it's, it's uh, you know, just an era that we'll somehow get out of. But I, I think, um, I think the, the, the quote of meaningless bowl games, you know, is, is the Akron game a meaningless game in September? You know, are we just going to pick and choose where a game has meaning um, your team is playing an effing game. Like it matters. You go play and you go compete your ass off. That's what you do. That's your job. Um, I don't get meaningless. I never will. And there's Kirk Herbstreet sticking up for tradition. I think he's right when he says the players don't get the tradition. And it's also for a lot of players. Well, not a lot of players for a lot of, for some of the high end players, they treat it like the minor leagues. And and I think that at its core is what bugs Kirk Herbstreet. I think he bugs them that they're opting out. I don't, I don't buy that they don't get the tradition. What is different about these players than before? So in the, in the 1970s, uh, they got the 60s tradition. So the 1970s players were better, more have more character than today's players. I mean, that's an easy thing to say, but I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. Uh, this The opportunity to play in the playoff for a few select teams, and then they don't get in the playoff, so they figure why. Why bother? Uh, I think they they fully know what they're passing up, but they've made the decision, and people and their handlers and all that have made the decisions or helped them make the decision, don't play in this game. I think the bigger point here is you get to decide that this is a meaningless game. And his point wasn't the Akron game in which you beat them 59-7. to and Akron was 2-10. and 10. You were never going to lose that game. Why risk playing in that game? And then the next three weeks after that, they had a bye, so the next three games were Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. Those teams in the Big Ten were like a combined 5-22, and 5-23, and 23, somewhere in that range. Indiana literally lost every conference game it played. Isn't that meaningless? Why would you play that? And clearly that game is not even close to as big as the Rose Bowl. Why would you play in that? You could be injured. That's a meaningless game. You are never going to lose to Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. And then they played Penn State after that, after the Indiana game, and they won by nine. So you're good to go on that one. Sure. But you should you should start to pick and choose which games are meaningless. Why, why wait to the last one? You could have had a whole month there in which you could have trained for the NFL. So you should do that. I actually want to see more of it then. If we're going to decide that this game is meaningless, let's not stop with this this game. Let's pick these dog games. Wasn't it Riley Nelson who got hurt against Weber State? I mean, that was a meaningless game, and that altered the trajectory of his entire season. He shouldn't have played in that game. right? Where does it end? 
I think it's easier for him to end it at the end with the bowl games than it is to pick and choose sure. along the way. Not no question. That, not that we should, I guess, completely rule out picking and choosing along the way. Uh, and, and guys have been rested in games when teams knew they could win. So there's probably some examples of that happening. Yeah, but that's the coach's decision, not the player's decision. Yeah, well, with NIL and a free transfer going forward, I wonder how much more uh, say the players are going to have. Um, but you're right, largely that has been a, a coaching decision. Maybe sometimes it's been made in conjunction with the players, but still a coaching decision. At the end of the season, the die is cast. And probably this has been triggered by coaches opting out of bowl games too. It's not just the players. Uh, players see coaches opting out, and then they see a, a player hurt. I mean, the odds are you aren't going to get hurt. But that doesn't do you any good if you are the guy who does get hurt. And but Ohio State didn't opt out. Ryan Day didn't opt out, so that doesn't apply. Uh, it doesn't apply just in that particular case, but I think across the industry, players are aware that coaches opt out. And they do it because it's best for them. It's not best for the team, but it's best for them to get onto their their new job. And so, I mean, that mindset... It's new to the Rose Bowl, but it's sure not new to postseason. I mean, this has been, what, five years now building building that's, up to this? That, that's, so somebody in Stanford in 2017 did it, so I can do it. Mm-hmm. If somebody plays on the freeway, should I play on the freeway? <laughs> I mean, where's that in? Probably, probably not. It's because but your we friend saw, jumps off a cliff, you should too? We saw a bunch of youths opt out of the uh, Alamo Bowl. I mean, what there's the hell lots does it have examples. to do with the Rose Bowl? That has nothing to do with the Rose Bowl. Okay, well, now you're picking and choosing which game is meaningful and meaningless. Obviously, yes, and I stand by it. The Rose Bowl is, meaning, is meaningful. If, that, if you think that's a negative, wow. <laughs> yes, I actually think the Rose Bowl is extremely uh, meaningful. So, yes, put me down as guilty. If, if that's your t- definition of guilty, yes, I am, and I'm boldly doing it, and I'm loudly doing it. There's no question I'm doing it. Yes, I agree 100%. So the argument in the past, which you've signed off on, but maybe not now, who pays Chris Olave if he gets hurt? I mean, he's from San Ysidro. Who he pays Chris Olave if he, he gets hurt from, against Akron? He didn't who come plays from money. Against, against Rutgers, against Maryland, against Indiana. You are going to win those games guaranteed. Who pays if Chris Olave gets hurt in those games? But now his draft status is much more established than it was oh, at no, the start of the season. That's not true at all. His draft status has been solid for two years now. Come on. We know his name. You couldn't even name me the other two receivers at Ohio State until this year, but yet you knew Alave's name. You've known Alave's name for a couple of years now. That's not true. He could have made money last year if he, if he so chose to. I don't. I don't buy that. He didn't. He didn't need this season to solidify his draft status. He could improve his draft status, but he didn't need it to solidify it. Well, improving it makes him more money. So sure, it is. It is a risk. But just you a said risk solidify. Case. You didn't say improve. Just okay. So I'll change that from improve to solidify, or for solidify to improve. Well, you can't allow me to make your arguments for you. Then Why you're not? guaranteed to win. Oh, it's a good strategy by me then. <laughs> 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 Who cares how I you agree. win as long as you win? True. Very true. I can't argue on that, and I love to argue. Rats. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so I, Herb, Herb's, Herbie's point, I think, is well taken. And, and if these guys want to do that, so be not, I'm not denying their right to do that, to do whatever, really. I mean, they it irritates right everybody because the Rose Bowl is so much fun. And it's yeah. just been more fun and more enjoyable than the other bowl games. Because it's always had such high-quality teams. It's been around longer than the other bowls. It's at a time when we're free to watch it, and the other bowls may or may not be. And so it sucks when it's the one impacted. It just means we're sprinting towards the 12-team playoff. It's going to happen. We're going to have a couple more years, two more, four more. You know, the contracts got opt-outs. Who knows how that'll play out. But it seems like the Rose Bowl is going to end up being a quarterfinal game locked into this time slot, so the sun will always go down at halftime and the San Gabriels can look like a million bucks. And if, if they could try and put a Big, big Ten or Pac-12 team in it, great. That's one of the other Rose Bowl traditions that just kind of faded over time. Uh, not, not completely. No, you're right. Not completely. I mean, I mean it's rare that it's not. So uh, the thing about it is, is Herb Street makes a lot of points. When you think it, it's like the thing I've been saying, I said it yesterday. When you look at Kobe and Jordan. I mean, the, the quote word loss, they lost way more than they won. And for generations, you were not playing for to win the national title in the Rose Bowl, but yet you still played. Right? Because you're going, there's no team, even Alabama, is going to lose more than it wins in terms of winning the national title. Right? Even if they won four in a row, they're not gonna, they're, there's going to be a five-year period in which they don't win. So what becomes meaningless and what becomes meaningful? And he brought it up in his day. <laughs> he said the consolation prize wasn't the Rose Bowl. It was the Citrus Bowl. I don't think he said it in that... Uh, three-minute thing we he played. Did. He, he did. Yeah, he mentioned that, okay. yeah. yeah, he did. Okay. And so, so, so he just crapped on the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Which, who knows what the Citrus Bowl is called now. Uh, I don't even know what, you know, they morph in with the advertisers' names and you can't remember them. Uh, so. Right, but the point is that was still a New Year's Day game and those games tend to get played on New Year's morning. I think one of them moved this year, but they tend to get played on New Year's morning before the Rose Bowl. And they've, they've got those games, the Gator Bowl and Tam- Tampa, Orlando, and Jacksonville's NFL stadiums. All, well, two of them are NFL stadiums. Orlando's not. I guess that's the Citrus Bowl. And they, uh, and they play those on New Year's Day. And it's usually ranked teams. It's usually pretty good deals. And, and so you play for the 14 playoff. Why would you do that then? Because you, now you have to play two games. Well, who's going to? pay Chris Olave if he got hurt in the semifinal or the final. Yeah, so if you're going on that logic, that's even that's, worse. That's There's no question there's a risk there. I guess unless you lose the semifinal and you only play one game. But there's still well, some would allegiance. You do that? Because there's some allegiance to the team and the team is trying to win a championship and championships matter over time. But now when you go to the other bowl games, you're not playing for the championship anymore. You're playing in a constellation game. And my allegiance to the team isn't that strong. And I'm not willing to risk the NFL money for that. I'll risk it for the championship, but I won't risk it for the consolation game. And then why work out? You could pull something. Why get out of bed? You can get by a car. 
And where does it end? Right now, it ends in players not playing in bowl games. The Rose Bowl. And the, another thing is a byproduct of this is we can already hear. If Utah wins, yeah, well, whoop de Ohio State didn't have their guys. Paul yeah. Feinbaum will say it. I'll put money on it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, they're already downgraded. The granddaddy. Yeah, to me, if I were Whittingham and I kind of know him, I would use this. Look at these guys, man. They're disrespecting you. We're all excited. We got more guys that have declared for the draft so far than Ohio State, and every one of them is going to play. Right? So look at them. He can use it to tweak guys. Get yeah, a little extra adrenaline flowing right before the game. They're disrespecting us so much, they don't even want to play. And our guys, I mean, who's going to pay if Nick Ford gets hurt? Uh, Frothingham, Britton Covey, Devin Lloyd. Because with this COVID thing, eligibility never runs out, apparently. And so you're always getting an opportunity to come back. Everybody can come back, right? There's, no, there's like... Five true realistic seniors, this is it, in the whole country, I think, this it's, year. Uh, it's six <laughs> years to play five. It used to be five years to play four. But now for a whole group of players, about five years' worth, it's six yeah. years to play five. It's actually uh, seven because you can play in four games and not have it count. So uh, so you, you get uh, two years back. Uh, but th- all these guys are leaving, and they're choosing to play. Who's going to pay for them? The, the problem is it, every argument that you have has a major hole in it. Nobody wants to be Jake Butt. And he's the one guy. He's the guy, right? He's the guy people are always going to point to. Also, Jalen Smith from Notre Dame blew out his and, knee. And did they die? Are they not making money? Did they not play in the NFL? Uh, Jake Butt did play in the NFL. Didn't have the career he was projected so did, to have, so but he Smith, did play in the NFL. But both of them are out now. Well, yeah, the average lifespan of the NFL guy is three years. So if you played played four years, you beat the average lifespan. That's pretty good. If the average lifespan of the American male is 77 and I lived to 85, I beat the odds. That's pretty good. I mean, whatever it might be. So I just don't know that you can live your life in fear. Of well, this this bad thing may happen, so I can't do this. I mean, where where does that end? At the college football playoff right now, these guys used to end at the Rose Bowl, but not anymore. You better not do anything. You you better not go out at uh, drinking at at one in the morning because bad things happen. Then you know where does it where does it all end? And you better use protection every time you get intimate because you don't want uh, to be paying all sorts of money because it's, it's, it's obviously a money decision, right? And, and I wonder what, what they make on that one <laughs> as we get close to closing time. You know, a lot of these players have kids, uh, and then you start having multiples through multiples. You're losing money, so who's going to pay fill-in-the-blanks money on that one? You know, because it's a money decision, right? Because you already said, who's going to pay Chris Olave's money if he gets hurt? Yeah, I think well, it's so, definitely a money decision. Right. So where where does it end on that? We don't track any of that. 
Now, we know in certain segments the out-of-wedlock statistics are very high. Individual players will go to great lengths to keep that from being tracked. They will yeah. set up well, bank accounts at other banks. with Because if it's money, if it's a money decision, well, you shouldn't be doing that because you could lose money. Right? It's the risk they're willing to take. <laughs> and they're now willing to take the Rose Bowl risk in four cases. There's plenty of Ohio State guys who are. And I don't think those are going to be the only guys who are drafted. But we'll see how that plays yeah. out. I, I think it stinks. I, I think, uh, but I mean, I support their right to do it. So they certainly have the right to do it. That's not the issue. That's not the issue at all. So even if I disagree with them, I support their right to make decisions that they feel are in their best interests. So I'm not criticizing that. Uh, Herb Street's going strong. He's going far stronger than I am, actually. You know, you've got an effing game. Go play your ass off. To quote him, <laughs> right? Yeah, he got all sorts of worked up. So he makes it sound like the, he doesn't support their decision, their right to make that decision. I don't know. He didn't really get into that. So they certainly have the right to do it. It's just it's, it's not about any individual. It's more about the system and how much it stinks and that the Rose Bowl – for decades, it was the pinnacle for uh, 20 teams. However, I assume the Big Ten had 10. Uh, I don't know, they don't now, obviously. But for 20 teams, it was literally the number one goal. And now I get that it's not the number one goal, but it's basically to the level of the potato bowl or whatever bowl to where it just doesn't mean that much. Wow. That's that's what sucks. But that's the world we live in. A lot of individuals spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and built something up great that a lot of people benefited from. And we're always taught, you know, pay it forward and all that and leave something better than you found it. And I think the fact that that principle is getting violated is why so many people are upset right now. But the game's changing and nobody's really been responsible for the sport. There have been a lot of actors who have partial responsibility for the sport but there's no commissioner there's no guru at the top and so leagues have been acting out of self-interest taking teams out of other leagues coaches have been acting out of self-interest leaving teams before the season is over ad's have been acting out of self-interest firing coaches before seasons are over and hiring away other people's coaches but it's the players we watch so it really hits home when the players act out of self-interest and don't play in what used to be a special game Sure, and why would Alave even play this year? Because he could have gone, I don't know what his status is grade-wise, but you've got to be out of high school three years. Like Sewell, last year with the COVID, mm-hmm. he decided not to play because he knew he was going to be a high pick. Shouldn't these guys be doing that? Well, I mean, we always discuss that when, when players come back or they don't come back, and it is a risk with their health, and they are risking And you get the insurance policy so that offsets some of the risk. But the insurance policy isn't going to cover everything. I mean, Kyle Van Oy is having a spectacular career. He's beaten all the three-year odds and projections. He risked it all coming back for BYU, and I think we were all surprised when he did that. He'd already gotten to a level we thought, well, this guy's ready to go. And it wouldn't have been that shocking if Devin Lloyd had gone last year. So he's played, you can argue he's played a whole season. There's been a whole, and Herb Street, at a different point in there, was acknowledging, hey, you know, Lloyd, Lloyd could have gone. 
And he didn't, and he came back to do exactly what they're doing, win the Pac-12 and go to the Rose Bowl and improve his draft stock along the way. Not solidify, improve, PK. True. Because I think he was already solid. Yeah, he, now he's he, he was going to get drafted. Yeah, he was going to get drafted. Maybe he would have been a second-day guy, and now he looks like he's going to go in the first round. And oh, for sure. Yes, he's a big-time yeah. stud. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, there's where it sits. And it sounds like the only thing that's going to change this is the playoff going to 12 and the Rose Bowl being part of that. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 of the zone. Coming up, Pace Manion. Former Ute and Jazz player at 8 o'clock, Jay Stevens, host of Locked on Buckeyes at 8.30 to talk about what the Buckeyes are going to look like now without these four guys. And Josh Newman, Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune at 9 o'clock. That's all ahead right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. He covers Ohio State for The Athletic. Bill Landis. You know, there are people on the Michigan side questioning Ohio State's toughness. And, and one of their assistant coaches, I, I believe, said that Ohio State was, was kind of a soft, finesse team. And obviously that's never something you want to hear somebody say about your program. So I'm interested to see if there's carryover from that going into this Rose Bowl. Because we all know that, that Utah wants to play the same kind of way. They, they want to play a physical brand of football. And Ohio State just kind of got challenged a little bit by Michigan. And, you know, I guess that can go one of two ways. They can just kind of roll over and kind of end the season and not, not worry much about putting up a fight. But I would say there's some pride in the line for Ohio State, too, because I don't think they want to go out in a fashion where it's, you know, back-to-back games where you're getting pushed around like that. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale, and it has been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Utah Jazz picking up a road win last night. Pace Mannion is going to join us to talk basketball in just a few minutes. we got Jay Stevens, host of Locked On Buckeyes. Josh Newman, Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. They're going to talk Rose Bowl with us at 8.30 and 9 o'clock. PK, four players, two of their excellent wide receivers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they all opt out. I did check the uh, the point spread to see if it moved, and depending on where you're looking at it, it looks like it moved about a point. It's like most people don't think it's going to be that big a deal, which to me, I mean, the, the passing attack drives that offense. It's not that they don't have a good run game, because they do, but the passing attack drives that offense. i got to admit, I expected more of a reaction out of that. I, I didn't at all. How come? This is, this is Ohio State. It, is, it isn't about the competitive nature of the game. It's the brand. No. To me, it's the idea of opting out, people opting out of the Rose Bowl. This is a sacred thing, and I'm 100% biased. I'll never hide my biases. Uh, if you think I'm a fan of one team or another, just ask me, and I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> I don't mess around uh, on this. So my bias is towards the Rose Bowl, absolutely, because I grew up thinking that that was the pinnacle, that was the ultimate. So I'm coming from an extreme point of bias view, if you will. I love saying, if you will, you just sound so educated and so, like, cultured. If you if will. You use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody knows I'm not, so I need all the cultured I could get. Uh, but this is Ohio State. I don't give a crap who isn't playing. You're Ohio State. You got one five-star after another. And so go to Henderson on the run game more. He ran for over 1,000 yards, so give him the ball more. 
Uh, I don't care if you're missing guys. You, well, it's not like got, their other receivers are short and slow. Right. You've literally got five-star quarterbacks transferring. Literally. Because they can't get out on the field. I mean, Joe Burrow transferred because he couldn't get out on the field at Ohio State. And then he just threw for 500 yards the other day. <laughs> and so... They and just had you know, the uh, NIL legend go back to Texas. Yeah, yeah. And Miller, who's a four-star out of Phoenix, leave. So they've had nine stars of quarterbacks, nine, worth, nine stars worth of quarterbacks leave in the last month. So what they lose so, is experience. So you expect they don't to bleed, bleed for them? No, come on. No, I don't, I don't think so. So I, I don't really that, – that doesn't factor into it. And the first person who says Ohio State doesn't want to be there if the youth should win, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> That's absolutely going to get said. <laughs> yeah, it's the old BYU syndrome. If we beat you, you're not any good. So we can't get credit for beating big-name programs because they were in a down year. But if we should lose to them, well, so BYU's the youth, never in a down year. So See, you guys aren't very good. If the, youths, if the youths win, then they'll have Fiesta, Sugar, and Rose Bowl wins. Against Fiesta, a three-loss. Sugar, Rose Bowl, <laughs> we'll party. <laughs> uh, but Pitt, Pitt sucked, and their coach had already quit to take another job. And Alabama and Ohio State didn't want to be there. There's your big yeah, now the, the coach uh, could have been there. Johnny Majors could have been there forever at Pitt. And, and they were Utah winning was, that game. Right, exactly. Right. So uh, I don't really want to hear that. And Saban, I mean, that was uh, – at one point in that season, they were ranked number one. Uh, they end up losing at the end of Georgia. I but think. they weren't as stacked as they were. They were very good, but they were no, not it was, as stacked No, it was Saban's second year. It was his second year, and they were coming off like a six and six season, and that was their big leap. And then they've obviously have gone on to incredible heights since then. But you know, the the, the Utes didn't get as much bang for their buck because they were coming out of the Mountain West. This one here, you know, when when Utah goes to recruit and when it goes to fundraise and all, if they should win, it's not going to be. You know, well, I'm not going to donate money because four Ohio State guys didn't play. Or I'm not going to come to play. I'm not going to come to commit to play for Utah because you won the Rose Bowl before Ohio State guys didn't play. It's not about that at all. That's not the point I'm making. So if anybody gets wants to get caught up in that, no, I think that's ridiculous. I told you, if the Utes win the Rose Bowl, I'm going to put Kyle Whittingham on my shoulders. Of course, I'm going to break every bone in my body as I try to squat to do him. I gave Woodingham a full frontal hug when they won the Pac-12 in Vegas. Now, it wasn't Kyle. It was Freddie. But it was still a Whittingham, so that's close enough. Their DNA is virtually the same. Did you know that? An entry-level Whittingham? Is that what you're getting at? No. <laughs> Just no, to modify be... one of your all-time great lines. <laughs> an entry-level Kardashian. Well, an entry-level Whittingham. Nah, that that would be like maybe one of his kids or cousins or whatever. This is Freddie. I mean, that's his brother. I mean, they they they've they're cut from the same cloth. Although Freddie's Freddie's a tad bit softer in a good way. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, do you think Kyle, if the roles are reversed, there was a there was a and Fred's officially now the uh, tight ends coach, but there was a time he had another title and I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was an administrative position. Yeah, but one of his jobs was when they were going through the drudgery of camp, teams will always do something at the end that's fun, kind of, you know, end on an up note and all that. 
and there was one that somehow it came down to um, I think they were kicking footballs at soccer goals or something, and then another time they were throwing the ball out of the stadium, and it got to the point where because the media had access at that point and could see this stuff, and so the media was getting into it and asking Kyle about it, like how'd you come up with that? And he's like. I have no idea. I told Fred to come up with something. That's what he came up with. And all the guys seem to love it. So would Kyle have ever come up with throw the ball out of the stadium? Well, let's, okay, but it, it, let's acknowledge that Freddie is an assistant, so the entire fate of the program doesn't rest with him. <laughs> he had more time to think about other stuff. Yes. All right, D, DJ and PK, time to bring in Rod Rex right now from Lendright Mortgage. And Rod, the message today is that rates are about to change, and that's going to affect everybody's pocketbook as they get financing on uh, homes, condos, uh, whatever kind of property they're looking at. Yeah, the uh, the writing's on the wall. The Federal Reserve's uh, put us all on notice that uh, inflation is at 30-year highs, and they're going to act to counterbalance that. And that means interest rates are definitely going up from here. So where we've still got rates that you can get a 30-year fixed in the twos and still have that 15, anywhere from an eight to 15-year term with a rate still as low as in the ones, uh, you want to refinance, uh, purchase, because that just means tens of thousands of dollars of money that you won't have to pay an interest by acting now uh, to do that purchase or refinance. So you said that the Freedom Loan is one of your most popular loans. What is it? How does it work? Yeah, the best part of that loan is that you can come to us. We shop uh, lenders across the country. We find the lowest rate and fees with our best lender, and that's who we do your loan with. So one example, we had a client who was just recently comparing us in terms of our rates on a purchase transaction that they were doing, and they already had their quote from their credit union. And when we provided them with an apples to apples comparison from our best lender, we were able to get them a rate that covered 100% of their closing costs, uh, where their credit union was charging them thousands of dollars in closing costs. We got them the exact same rate, except we covered 100% of their closing costs. So saved them over $10,000. So if people want to get into their individual situation and questions about what they might want to do and when they might want to do it, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, best thing to do is call us. Uh, 801-APPROVE is the phone number, or you can find us online at LendRightMortgage.com. 801-APPROVE, 801-APPROVE, or LendRightMortgage.com. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Coming up next, Pace Mannion joins us talking about the Jazz win and his Utes in the Rose Bowl. Next, stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Pace Mannion on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art Smart Irrigation Controller helps with first-class water management. Visit SmartRain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Pace, good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> Sorry about texting you at midnight. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. Don't know where in the world you are sometimes. <laughs> it's all good. Pace joining us from uh, Italy now, where he played and his wife is from, and, and your son Nico is now is now playing, getting ready to play. He's, he's getting ready. I had a tough uh, hit of virus. So I lost a, 
lost a lot of weight, lost about 40, 45 pounds, but he's back now, and he's, you know, he should start playing here in the next week or so once they get off this, uh, this little break they're on right now. If you weigh 180, how do you lose 40 pounds? Yeah, trust me, it was scary, and it wasn't pretty. It was not pretty. <laughs> I, wish, I, I told him I could use that, but you can't. You know? Yeah, yeah, at his age. Now, check back in 40 years, it'd be another but, story, right? <laughs> yeah, but he's uh, you know, he's back now, which is good, because it, uh, you know, it, it was scary. It was, it was something you don't ever want to see anybody go through. As much pain as he was in, and, and what was going on with him was, uh, was really scary. But he got to Bologna, and they, they figured it all out. And you know, He spent a few days in the hospital, but uh, he's, he's good now. So thank God for that. How's the medical world over there compared to what we have here? <laughs> Well, I think it depends on where you go, you know, and there are certain cities that I think you're very lucky to be in, and one of them is Bologna that has a very good a good hospital here with a, 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 all their, uh, what do you call them, every, every part of their hospital is, is one of the best. You get people traveling from the world to come here. So, And the doctors, obviously, because of where he is, playing for the, the biggest team in Italy, Virtus Bologna, you know, he gets good care, so that was great. And Gaia was here with him to monitor everything, and they, they were fantastic. I, you know, he got, once he got out of the hospital, he put on about he put on about forty pounds in thirty three days. So, well, so did I. His, yeah, <laughs> that's when you had the hot dog though. <laughs> now he's on the DJ hot dog plan. Sweet. <laughs> no, was, but what I think the you know his 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 problem was you know his blood count got really low because he was he was losing so much blood, and and once the blood was able to carry nutrients to his body. You know, his body just grabbed all of them. The weight came back quick. Then he had to put his muscle mass back on. He came back a little early, tweaked his back. Core wasn't ready to be playing yet. And so that's why they held him out for a couple of weeks. But he's, uh, they've had about five days off because there's some COVID related issues with the team. Two guys were positive. So they shut the team down for three days. We've been kind of locked down in the house for a while. But it's all good. You know, he's healthy. He'll start playing when he's ready to play. That's all I'm. I'm concerned about he's in a great city. He's with a great team. You know, there he'll get better. Obviously, his dream is to get back to the NBA, which I think will happen in a year or two. So, it's a it's a much tougher it's a tougher way to play basketball than it is the NBA in Europe because of the style. So, you know, once you get successful over here, coming back there with the spacing and the rules, it seems to come a lot easier for guys. Pace Mannion joining us, former Ute, and uh, you know it's, it's interesting because obviously your son Nico was drafted by the Warriors, played for the Warriors. Uh, you lived in Utah after you were done playing, and you did uh, radio and TV. And there's a bunch of hilarious stories. I wish we had time to get into about. We that. don't have any time. I don't have time for that. So let him go. Just let him go. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, well, we already brought up the hot dog. That's one story. Uh, and then you moved. You moved to Arizona, and that's where Nico went to high school. So you are in. Phoenix, and now you've relocated to Utah with with him going going to Italy. But that's Utah, Arizona, Golden State ties, and look at what three clubs have the best record in the NBA. And you can tell me you're not following pace, but I wouldn't believe you. I know you're following all three of them for multiple reasons, partly fan, partly professional memories, and partly your son's future. So you've got multiple reasons to follow all of these, and I'm curious – uh, we've had Warriors Suns games now. We've seen them play, and it's regular season, and Clay Thompson isn't there, so it's certainly not perfect for the, you know, you know, to line us up for what might happen in a playoff series. That could look really different. We haven't seen the Jazz play either one of those teams yet. So with all that factored in, what do you think? Well, I think you know what the Jazz are three games out of first. They're a game out of second. I mean, they're they're in the mix for everything. And right now, it's you know, you're playing to get seating and be home court advantage and all the things you want, but. 
they're capable of beating anybody. Right now, the Warriors are, are, are ext- playing extremely well. It'll be interesting to see what they do when, when Clay comes back, when Wiseman comes back. Does it help them? Does it hurt their chemistry? Are there some you know, chinks in the armor do they find? It'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. The thing I look at when I watch these teams play is, and, and not to knock Gobert because he's been playing fantastic for the Jazz. He's been phenomenal. But when you get to the playoffs and one team goes small ball, can you allow to leave Rudy on the floor? And, and that's what I, where the Warriors, I think, take advantage of a lot of people with their ball movement. And if they move Draymond to the four or the five even and, and go small, they're tough to guard. And they just surround you with shooters and they, they move the ball so well. And guys are unselfish. And it's, uh, it's tough to beat them. So th- that's the, the thing that the, the Jazz will have to figure out down the road to beat those teams. I think the Suns are very good, but they rarely go as small as anybody else. They like to keep DeAndre on the floor. He's been, he's been playing great all year. Aiton, so it's uh, but those three teams in the West right now. I think you, can, you know flip a coin because all three of them will be in the mix come the end of the year. And we saw that you speak of that small ball last year. We still have nightmares of that Terrence Mann going off and having the game of his life, hitting all those corner threes, and and the Jazz look a little discombobulated. Do you think if that situation arises, and you speak of the Warriors, and they're very proficient at that, particularly when Thompson comes back, can the Jazz have Gobert on the floor, but take him away from the basket? Would they be willing to do that, knowing that that's his strength, but because of the lineups that they have of the other team, maybe be forced to do that? And can they do that? And would would they be okay if they did do that? Well, I think you have to have him come away from the basket, you know, because if not, that's what happens. You know, he gets stuck in a, you know, in a drop coverage, you know, on some moves or he gets caught in a switch where he's got, you know, Clay Thompson, you have to go out. It's not like you can say, I'm not going to go guard him. So either he figures out a way to go out and guard those guys and chase them off the line. Hope your rotations are really good. Um, but it's, you know, again, nobody passes the ball as well as Warriors. You know, they're, and they're coming from the San Antonio mold because that's where, you know, Kerr was under pop and he's seen how that works and share the basketball. There's, you know, you have your superstars on that Warrior team, but, there's everybody everybody knows how to play in that system right now and they're figuring it out really well so um i think the the jazz can figure it out but it's uh it's it's going to be tough i think rudy's the key can he manage that playoff time when the team goes small can he manage to stay on the floor and not hurt him so i don't have a problem with that necessarily because he could have gone out to the corner and stood there and made sure Terrence Mann get, got shots. But to me, the problem was the other guys couldn't stay in front of their man. So if Rudy goes out to the corner and makes sure Terrence Mann or whoever he's matched up with in a Warriors series or a Sun series doesn't go off, are all the other guys giving up layups because they can't stay in front of their guys? Well, look, you're talking about <clears throat> the best players in the world, you know, and there's not many guys that can that stay in front of Steph Curry. <laughs> were, well, in front of any, you know, you yeah. name any starting point guard in the NBA, you know, and all of them are, are capable of beating you off the bounce. You know, do you want to go out and guard Dane? Do you want to go out and guard Steph? Do you want to guard Chris Paul? That's why they are who they are. And when you get to the playoffs, you're playing against the best teams that have gotten there because they're better than everybody else. So you're getting those better guards and the better twos, better threes. All those guys can put it on the floor and beat you. So – it's, everybody's going to do that. The teams that shoot the three ball in the playoffs seem to do really well. Um, 
because it's just a backbreaker. You know, you can be down 9, 10, 12 points, and in three possessions, you're right back in the game. So, and the Warriors are the best at that because of Steph. Well, and Clay, obviously, but they're, and Jordan Poole has stepped up, even though he's out with the protocol right now. He's, you know, he's playing really well in, in the place of Clay right now, and he's shown he can score. Obviously, he's not Clay Thompson yet, but, you know, he's, he's looking to make a nice contract next year as well. Yeah, that's what mads me the intrigue about when Thompson comes back and he's coming back sooner than later because you've got players like Poole and uh, Peyton's son who are stepping up. But what do you think is going to happen? Because I don't think they can just bring him back and these other guys can continue to play at their level because there's just simply not enough shots. Curry's going to get his. I mean, you're not going to discourage him from shooting, obviously. Whose games are going to suffer from the Warriors, and how will it affect the overall product? Well, excuse me. in my opinion, I think you know Gary Payton will be the one that will suffer the most because he's the least offensive skilled player they have on the perimeter, although he's played well as of late. He's your defensive guy. But, you know, if you could put Clay, because they really don't, that system they run, uh, the point guard is not as important as you think, because Dre brings it up. You know, even if Steph brings it up, he's giving it up and getting off the ball for a catch and shoot. So if you've got Clay and Jordan Poole and Steph, all three on the perimeter, which all three shoot the ball as well as they do, and you put Draymond at the five and play Otto Porter at the four, or vice versa, you've got four guys that are great at shooting the three ball. It's a tough one to guard. So I think Peyton loses a few minutes. Jordan Poole might lose a few if they, because I know Kerr will try to keep everybody happy for a while. And then the minute they start to have to make a run, he'll cut his rotation to eight like he did last year and say, okay, we want to try and win some games and, and for our seeding or for whatever. And, and that's when guys will have their minutes cut out. But he won't do it too early because the season's too long. You don't want to. He'll keep playing Steph his, you know, his 36 minutes, and that's where he keeps him at all year long. And then he'll bump it up towards the end during the playoffs if they need him on the court more. Pace Mannion joining us, former Ute, former Jazz guy, former broadcaster locally. And have you seen enough of the Jazz going small with Rudy Gay to assess how good that is, how much of a problem will that cause really good teams in playoff series? You know, I haven't seen it, but I know enough about Gay. And the Jazz system is, I mean, they run a great system. You know, their ball movement, you know, their their penetration and kick, their, you know, their pick and roll stuff they do. I mean, Quinn Snyder's a genius, obviously. He's done a great job there. And I think, like like you pointed out, PK, you, you, what happened, you know, with, with the Clippers and, and, and the shots they got in the, in the, in the playoffs, that will, those are things you'll look at and go, how do we fix that? And if anybody can do it, you know, Snyder can. He's... He's been there. He, he knows how to, how to coach. So those things will happen. And if Rudy's, you know, I haven't seen him this year, but if, if he's good enough to, to rebound and defend and, and do what he needs to do at that position, you know, you can get away with it if everybody's going small. Um, he'll, be, he'll be fine. I, I, I truly believe in that system. That's one of the systems I really, really like in the NBA. If you watch teams play, they're, they're one of the ones you enjoy going to games and seeing how they, how they run their offense. With you being over there in Italy, we've seen so many players come over, and not just end of the bench guys. It used to be, the, the, you know, maybe they can contribute, but now they're their major contributors all throughout the entire European leagues, of uh, every one of them. I'm wondering now, as you're watching this, uh, how much uh, improvement has the game been over there to where there will be significant 
contributions of players, uh, more role players? What do you see as far as the future of foreign basketball impacting the NBA? Well, it's already impacted it quite a bit, but I think the game over here has changed tremendously from when I was here. And a lot of it's because they don't have as – when I was here, you can only have two foreigners. Now you can have as many – it seems like as many as you want. But they, the game has gotten so physical over here, um, it's astonishing to me how physical it is. Um, it's worse than watching you know, Detroit and Chicago in the playoffs back in Michael's early years. Really? Because, yeah, it is just – there's so much contact. There's so much banging. They don't allow a hand check, but the forearm on the perimeter, you know, you can bump guards off their line. You can do what you want to do out front. They let you get away with a lot of stuff. So I think what you'll see is the guys that are skilled enough over here, the Europeans that are skilled enough to play in the NBA, because when they get there, guys like, you know, you wonder why Doncic had such great success. He'd been playing from the time he was 15 years old in the European, in the EuroLeague. So he'd been getting beat up forever. When you watch the European game, then you come back and watch an NBA game. The NBA game looks – there's so much space, and it seems like there's no contact compared to what you're seeing here. And so I think those guys will get there and they'll have a bigger impact because once they do get there, they're going to realize, I have more space. The game is faster. They don't want to call – they want to call the fouls because they're given the offensive advantage because they want more scoring for the fans. And over here, they don't care about that. Over here, they, they could care less about what the fans want. It's all about we're going to go by the book. There's no gray area. It's black and white. And so, but it's, it's, it's a good game to watch. It's just not as fast or as free-flowing as an NBA game. But I think you'll see guys come over and have big impact in the next few years because there are some very good players over here. All right, now let's get to the good stuff. <clears throat> so everyone, I think, now he's got an MVP and, and Jokic is – playing great for Denver and carrying them when there's very little around him. And when he subs out of a game, everything falls apart. And everybody's got that down cold. But the Jokic brothers, that surprised people a little bit. Did you know about them? No, I still don't. Oh, really? Uh, I would just say that... I've seen Jokic brothers in the stands getting ready to fight, but I didn't know there was anybody else out there. (laughs) That's what I was talking about. (laughs) Those guys. Those guys. uh, I don't think I want to get into it with Nikola. No, I think you let him go because he's got more backup than most guys. Yeah, you know, right. His, and it's family, so they're willing to go, you know, to the mat all the way. Yeah, yeah they're going to go all the way. So, but it's, uh, I tell you, that's it's, it's it's great. He's got that. You know, when you come to another country and you're going to get harassed, it's nice to have family in the stands to do what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Are you kidding me? The only thing PK missed is you know they're not Italian because otherwise it'd be straight out of The Godfather and PK'd right, be right. all about it'd, it'd it. Be, It'd be all mafia stuff for PK. I know. I get it. I'm wondering as far as the advancements in salaries over there in Europe, as far as, you know, what they make, and is it the dream for kids who grow up and pick a country to play in the NBA? Because if you're getting highly compensated over there – you know, obviously, it's a major impact on your life. The basketball is one thing, but you know, it always amazes me these guys that come over. And you did it the other way. You were a little older, though. You weren't, you know, like eighteen, nineteen years old when you went over 
to uh, Italy, you were older, and so it, amaz- it amazes me. Get these pluck these kids out of countries where they do it in baseball. You know, they're they're so young and from the Latin American countries, and then they bring them over, and it's got to be this massive adjustment. Is it still the goal of kids who grow up in whatever country over there to play in the in in the NBA? I think it is for some of them, but <clears throat> I think there are so many guys over here, at PK, that they start playing and they. They love the city they're in. They love the team they're on. They love the, everything about the European League. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they, and they're making good money. And they just don't want to risk, you know, if I go to the NBA and I don't play and I fail, you know, and then I've got to come back here and it's, it's, it, it, and it's an ego thing for them. But I think a lot of them, if they go, you know, like Ginobili when he went, he took a pay cut to go, but then obviously he made that money back because he was good enough to make that money back. You know, I look at Nico coming here this year, and, you know, the money he's making this year is so much more than he'd have made in the NBA. He's making as much as some of the guys that got drafted in the first round the year before when he was, when he was drafted in the second round because they, they pay him X amount of dollars. They pay a 50% tax on that salary. He's living in a $2.5 million apartment downtown Bologna, and they give him a, he's driving a Porsche. So nice. I mean, your house, your car, your salary – um, everything's taken care of. So it's, and the lifestyle here, it depends on where you're at. Obviously, he's in a great city. So that's one of the nicest things you can have is, you know, where you live is a big key because you got to be here for nine months out of the year. But this is a great spot for him. You know, he wanted to play one year and come back. I don't know if that'll happen because you're only going to get about half a season in because of the, the sickness he had. But like I said, you know, you've got a two year guaranteed contract. You're, you're good. You're going to be fine. You're 20 years old. You, haven't even, you won't turn 21 until March. You know, you're still a, you're becoming, if you do go back in two years, you'll be like some guys just coming out of college that were in the class yeah. when you came here. Yeah. So. Well, it, it, when guys go over, who in, in this case haven't played in the in the league, when they go over and then they want to come back, are they free agents? Well, Nico isn't because they still, all they have to do is make an offering. <clears throat> they make an offer, a qualifying offer every year, which they told him they were going to do. He'll still be the rights of the Warriors. They'll still be able to okay. match any offer he gets. But, okay. You know, Nico's not worried about that. He just said, you know, I think when I come back, the offer will be good enough that they'll, if they match it, they're matching yeah. it because they know I'm going to come play. Right, right, and right. And if they don't, I'm going somewhere I'm going to get to play anyway. So that's all anybody wants. You talk about being in the NBA, and you talk, you know, you talk about getting shots taken away like you were talking about before with the Warriors. Guys aren't worried about their shots. They're worried about their minutes. You know, you, as long as you get on the floor, most guys get on the floor, and you, you watch this even now when you're seeing all these guys come up from the G League getting these, you know, time to play, everybody can play. A lot of guys can play in that league, um, given the opportunity. You just got to be in the right place at the right time and, mm-hmm. and, and get a shot. You know, like all these young guys in Houston, they're a horrible team, but all these young guys are getting all the minutes they want because they're so bad. And that's, yeah. you know, yeah, you're learning by losing, but you're still learning. And it's, it's a good thing to go through. Well, last thing before we let you go, you are a Ute. And when you played at the University of Utah, the football program was in a really different place. <laughs> Literally, the football coaches had offices in the basketball arena. You probably crossed paths with them to some oh, yeah. point. It was not a winning situation. And now, obviously, they are in the Rose Bowl. How much does that blow your mind when you look back at 20-year-old Pace Mannion on a basketball powerhouse, you're playing in Sweet 16s, and the poor football coaches are schlepping around the basketball arena, and now they're in the Rose Bowl? Yeah, we used to laugh at the football guys because we'd get – I mean, you know, we had more fans than they did. Um, and, but, 
and we'd see the football coaches. Obviously, they, we, we liked all those guys. We are going to give them McBride and Juki and all the guys you'd see up there, but I wasn't going to harass them. But it's, they've come a long way. You know, you got to give Kyle credit. You know, Urban came in and turned it around, and, and Kyle's been phenomenal for the last 87 years, it seems like. But um, they got a tough one ahead of them. You know, that's going to be a great game, I think, going to the Rose Bowl. I, I like what they're doing. I watched them this year, you know, when the quarterback rising came in, they just kind of turned things around. And you just hope on, you know, I think they play on the first, don't they? Yep. Yeah. You hope you hope they can run the ball. Because if they can run the ball, it seems like that's the one thing Ohio State struggles with is, is that. Because I think they're averaging like 550 yards and 45 points a game. They're, you give them the ball back, they're, you know, they're good. But I, didn't I read? I thought I read that some of their did some of their receivers decide to sit out. Yeah, the draft? I didn't know how much yeah. you got that with the time difference there in Italy. But two of their top three receivers, a starting offensive lineman, a tackle, and a starting defensive lineman. So four players have opted out to protect yeah. their their health for the NFL. Yeah, well, I, you can't blame them, and you know it's a and it's it's a great you know chance for some young kid to step in and play really well. And you don't know who's good behind those guys. So that's a you know, that's a wild card as well because, you know, they recruit very well there. So it might not be that big of a drop-off. But, you know, obviously Utah's got their hands full. And, I, you know, I'm happy they're there. And I wish them luck. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be watching. Well, the only sad thing is that you don't have the red and the blue show and uh, you can beat up on a lemma like you did in that Fiesta Bowl season. Poor Alema yeah, well, sitting there. I, BYU you got Utah this year, so. <laughs> That's true. He, I, he I, can't, I can't give him too much, too much this year. But it, it was fun while it lasted. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pace, we appreciate the time. We will talk to you again later this season, and uh, good luck to Nico, and tell him DJ and PK say hi. I will. Thanks, guys. All right. Pace Mannion checking in from Italy there. DJ and PK coming up. We got Jay Stevens, host of Locked on Buckeyes, talking Rose Bowl next, and we'll see what he thinks of the depth of those key positions with guys opting out. And obviously they're losing something in experience, but how much are they really losing in talent? We'll talk with Jay Stevens next. Right now, Rod Rex joins us from Lendright Mortgage. Rod, good morning. Good morning. Rod, Lendright is offering a $1,000 lowest rate guarantee with rates on the move here pretty soon. Uh, you've got this offer. Tell people about it. Yeah, just because we have that independence that we can shop the best mortgage lenders in the country, it doesn't matter who we do your loan with. Our only objective is to find each client, the absolute lowest combination of rate and fees. So there's just not lenders out there that do what we do. And so our rates are often a quarter percent or more lower than other lenders because of that. And because we have that freedom to just go out and find the lender that best fits each client, we can guarantee the absolute lowest combination of rate and fees. And we do that with a thousand dollar lowest rate guarantee. So no other lender offers what we do, uh, whether that's a bank credit union or any other mortgage company out there, we guarantee our rate and fees will be lower than any of them, or we'll send you a check for a thousand dollars. You've got the uh, you've got the freedom loan, which is uh, which is really popular, and some of those uh, they cover closing costs. So you got a lot of stuff built into those. Yeah, that's definitely one of our most popular products is the freedom loan, just because it allows people in a cash out scenario. That means just thousands of dollars extra cash in hand versus going with a lender that's going to charge all those fees and closing costs. 
So whether you're buying or refinancing, that freedom loan gets you a rate that's as good as or lower than any other lender out there, but you don't have the closing costs. So it's kind of a no-brainer to save a whole bunch of money when you're paying the prices that homes are costing nowadays. Uh, the closing costs can can easily be eight to ten, twelve thousand dollars. So for people who have more questions, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, best thing to do is just call us at 801-APPROVE or log on to our website at LendRightMortgage.com. LendRightMortgage.com or 801-APPROVE. You can call 801-APPROVE or LendRightMortgage.com. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. He covers Ohio State for The Athletic, Bill Landis. You know, there are people on the Michigan side questioning Ohio State's toughness, and, and one of their assistant coaches, I, I believe, said that Ohio State was, was kind of a soft, finesse team, and obviously that's never something you want to hear somebody say about your program. So I'm interested to see if there's carryover from that going into this Rose Bowl, because we all know that, that Utah wants to play the same kind of way. They, they want to play a physical brand of football, and Ohio State just kind of got challenged a little bit by Michigan, and you know, I guess that can go one of two ways. They can just kind of roll over and kind of end the season and not, not worry much about putting up a fight. But I would say there's some pride in the line for Ohio State, too, because I don't think they want to go out in a fashion where it's, you know, back-to-back games where you're getting pushed around like that. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Jay Stevens, host of Locked on Buckeyes. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Jay, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Uh, We, of course, uh, everyone got the news. Ohio State is going to be missing... Two wide receivers, an offensive lineman, and a defensive lineman, starters, impact guys. How uh, how surprised were people that it came this late? Usually this news comes pretty quickly after the bowl uh, pairings are announced. When I didn't hear anything for about a week, I thought, well, maybe it's the Rose Bowl, so everybody's going to play. And now it turns out in the final week leading up to the Rose Bowl, everybody isn't going to play. How surprised or how off guard did this catch uh, the Buckeyes? So, as regards to the timetable about when it came out, Ryan Day and the team has been very tight with player availability all year long. So, I'm not really surprised it came out the week of the game. That part didn't surprise me. It just followed the track record and timetable that Ryan Day has utilized all season as far as who's going to play, if they can play, when they can't play. We'll announce it at the very last minute. The one thing that did surprise me was Chris Alave opting out and here's why. Last week, there were some Ohio State beat writers that were talking on a podcast, and they said they had already heard rumblings internally that Haskell, Garrett, Nicholson, Petit Frere, and then Garrett Wilson were going to opt out, but nothing was official yet. They were just things that they had heard based off people they had talked to. Chris Olave was in a video on Twitter practicing last week. He was even seen in a practice uniform on Monday shortly before the announcement came out that he was going to be opting out of the Rose Bowl. And so that's the biggest surprise. Last week when I heard the three possible names that would, that would possibly opt out, Jared Wilson didn't surprise me. 
the left tackle didn't surprise me. Haskell Garrett was up in the air, but I thought he was going to play. But Alave being in a practice uniform, even the day that he had out, decided to opt out, that one surprised me the most. Statistically, you look at the numbers, and they've got three eye-popping receivers that jump out at you, obviously. Now, two of them are going to be gone in Wilson and Alave. And Alave had 936 yards, so he was the third highest in terms of receiving yards. And then there's a 700-yard drop-off between him and the next player, so the fourth leading receiver then, who is the running back, Henderson. My thought for you is how will they compensate for the loss of these two individuals with Wilson and Olave. Uh, Henderson is a pretty good running back. Uh, do they run the ball more? Do they throw the ball out of the backfield more to him? Or to some other guys that we don't know about step up and replace these guys and so the offense doesn't change that much? I think it'll be a mixture of the two. Ryan Day's been very pass-heavy this season. Even when it's with their scripted plays early in the game, first 10 to 15 plays that are scripted, you can tell he's trying to get the ball moving through the air very quickly. Run is second. I think we're going to see more of a mixture um, of in the run game and pass, not so much pass heavy the entire time. You mentioned Travion Henderson. I think we'll see a lot more a mixture of splitting the carries between Henderson and Mayan Williams, the backup running back. I think we'll see those two guys split carries in this game. There are some receivers that will be able to play that really haven't played much this year due to Olave Wilson being out. But I don't think Ryan Day is going to be as pass-heavy as he has been all year because these guys haven't got the run, haven't got the clock that the other two guys have gotten all year. And so he's gotta, you're going to have to kind of play the strong hand. Is, is it going to be Henderson running the ball? Is it going to be Brian Williams running the ball, mixing in some of the younger receivers? Is Jeremy Rutgers going to be featured more in this game? A player that I think can be, but has not been this year, really throughout his entirety of his career at Ohio State. So I think we're going to see more of a mixture, more of a balanced attack from Ohio State, not so pass-heavy with Wilson and Olave not playing in the game. So there's a couple things to assess that make bowl games different than the regular season games. One is the opt-outs and the level of talent that's present. And then the second is the motivation level. And certainly, youth fans uh, got sick of hearing that Alabama didn't want to be there after the 2008 season, 2009 Sugar Bowl game. Does Ohio State want to be there? Absolutely. I know there may be a narrative out there from people, I see stuff on Twitter, that the players don't want to be there or it's just a meaningless bowl game, I wouldn't go that far. I think the players do want to be there. I think they've been working all between the last game of the season for Ohio State, the ugly loss to Michigan, and then this game now. But they, I do believe they want to be there. I do believe they're going to bring their best game. And I do believe that Ryan Day is preparing this team in the way that he is not taking this team, this Utah team lightly, or taking this moment lightly, being at the Rose Bowl. It's not called the granddaddy of them all for no reason. It's not on New Year's Day for no reason. The time slot is not solidified for no reason. All these things go into what the Rose Bowl is. And I think because it is the Rose Bowl, it adds an added level of motivation for those players that are going to be playing on New Year's Day. One of the things that's scary about the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world 
is years ago it seemed like you know they were so heavily oriented towards the run and the quarterback was the proverbial game manager but now these two programs who are as elite as they can get they're they're putting in nfl quarterbacks and it's become basically an assembly line of nfl quarterbacks it's like whoever the starter is it's presumed that he's going to be a high draft pick probably a first rounder and we've seen that with the buckeye program here in recent years my thought for you is the shroud you look at him you know basically getting in there to start and it's looking like he's have a really good season just how good is he he is really good he has blown me away after coming off and he missed the Akron game earlier in the year he got injured in fall camp and injured in the B well right I believe the Minnesota game game number one he had he got injured in that game so he was nursing a couple injuries missed the game and then his growth throughout the season his ability pre-snap to post-snap being able to acknowledge what the defense is doing and then attack the weakness that the defense has on that particular play, the intangibles that he has, and then his ability to anticipate throws in a way that even at times as we marvel at Justin Fields, the quarterback that he was at Ohio State, Stroud has shown me a level of anticipation that we rarely saw from Justin Fields. And that's the biggest thing to me that I've seen. He is, his timing, his anticipation and we've even seen him be very poised at times when a lot of quarterbacks would be rattled. I am very blown away by his play this year, and I'm excited to see what he does Saturday against a really good Utah football team. Ohio State only lost two games all year. They gave up 269 yards rushing and lost to Oregon. They gave up 297 and lost to Michigan. Can Utah run the ball, keep that high-powered offense on the sideline where they can't do any damage, and pull off the upset? You said, can they? All right, will they? <laughs> if you want to use can they as a dodge. But you know what I'm getting at. So, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to be let's a little bit deeper into the opt-out. Because I didn't hit on one guy that I think may be forgotten by a lot of people. You're going to harp on Olavia Wilson and even the left tackle. Left tackle, very important. But losing Haskell Garrett on that defense is huge. And I've been going back and forth about this for a while. Ohio State's rotated a lot of guys on defense, been very confusing. But also you want to have guys that were playing more than maybe people thought they should or would that are going to, are going to get a lot of playing time in this game. Losing Haskell Garrett, three-tech defensive tackle, is huge. You leave the team in sacks and TFLs, tackles for loss. And so I do know the rushing attack. I do know what we, the last time we saw Ohio State play a football game they got gashed, they got embarrassed, they got called soft, and the best linebacker in Ohio State acknowledged that they were soft in that game. I called them soft. People I know called them soft. They were soft. With a lot of time in between Ohio State playing it against Michigan and then now, I almost forgot that this is not a new season. This is the same team. And Ohio State's been soft all year. Do I think they'll play tougher than they did against Michigan? Yes. But my fear is the rushing attack that you mentioned is going to be enough to pull off the upset. I am still up in the air on this, but as I'm talking it out, losing Haskell Garrett is big. I don't know what to expect from these linebackers or how, what linebackers are going to play. Ohio State's played too many guys at times. Um, I am leaning more towards the upset, and it pains me to say that. That physical team Utah has in Ohio State, that the last time I saw them play, Ohio State was not the Ohio State team that I expected to see in Ann Arbor. And my fear and my gut telling me we're, going, we're possibly, probably going to see more of that team on Saturday. 
Utah's athletic director came on our station a week or so ago and said that uh, wouldn't be surprised if saw 60,000 people that are Ute fans in the Rose Bowl. And I think I saw that Ohio State returned some tickets. Uh, how many Ohio State fans do you think are going to be there? Man, I'm probably thinking it could be 60-40 Utah fans. It could be 70-30 Utah fans. The big thing, Ohio State returned 7,000 of their 20,000 allotment that they got. And that was at first alarming. But when you add in ticket prices, um, the cost of flying to Pasadena, the cost of hotels and food and a car once you get there, and then even the uncertainty about playing the game, going from Ohio or wherever you are in the country to California, there's been so many bowl games canceled. I'm sure a lot of people – are really wondering, is the game going to be played? Because we're seeing bowl games canceled left and right. Um, so, yeah, it could be 60-40. Could be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 70-30, to be honest with you, uh, just based off the amount of money that people are going to be spending just to go to that game in the time period we're living in right now. Um, yeah, the, the, the Utah fans could well be loud. Um, it, they'll probably dominate them. And I'm curious to see how loud it is at kickoff um, as far as who dominates the, the the sound, is it more Utah fans or Ohio State fans? 70, 30, 60, 40. I wouldn't be surprised if the split is that way for each, for each fan base. Yeah, they wear the same color, so at least the stands won't look too embarrassing, right? It's not like I, when I was there true. with the black and gold, you know exactly who's Iowa and who isn't. So th- this will be a little this different. Is true. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate the time, Jay. Thanks for coming on and talking Rose Bowl with us. Yeah, no problem, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. Jay Stevens, host of Locked on Buckeyes, joining us. And Josh Newman, you beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, will join us at 9.05 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's official. The Utes are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the Utes to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the Utes' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the Utes in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The fifth annual Black Friday sale has been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. You still riled up, PK? About life? Yes. No, the Rose Bowl and opt The Rose Bowl. It's, it's the Rose Bowl. If Kirk Herbstreet is riled up, why can't I be? Because you have been really, uh, what is the word? Um, uh, self-evasing, humble, uh, contrite, generous, soft-hearted. I mean, there's a whole bunch of words. Where do I stop? <laughs> I was going to say locked in on the concept that these guys need to secure the money because it's life-changing money and nobody else is going to guarantee it to them if they get hurt. And and you hate it, but you totally understand why guys with NFL futures have to protect those and opt out of bowl games. But yeah. Those are bowl games, and this is the Rose Bowl. 
It's the granddaddy. Come on, man. That will, who we, the, 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 the guy we just had on. There's a reason why it's played when it's played, the day that it's played. And I didn't know this because I'm not a TV ratings guy. I've always said I watch what I watch. And if other people watch it, great. If they don't, I don't care. And Kirk Herbstreet said this game, TV ratings-wise, will be as good as the semifinal games, which I had no idea because I'm, I'm no, my TV career is over and I don't obsess over TV ratings. I get that people do. I get why you do because it's your livelihood, so I understand all that. But I had no idea that it was right on par with those other games. So there's a whole lot going to it. And it's not about any – me. I'm not cracking on Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or any of these dudes doing what they do. That's not the point. What's the point? The point is that the system – that we've created, which am I allowed to say it's a half-ass system? Yes, because uh, I don't think it's been created. I think it's just kind of evolved because no one's been trying to shape it and make sense out of it. Well, I, I don't. I think it has this. This fourteen playoff has been created. Been created. Yeah. and so I'm more upset at the powers that be that created a situation in where dudes would look at themselves and say, "I don't want to play in the Rose Bowl." <laughs> now I have a hundred percent bias. I grew up, and the Rose Bowl was where I didn't even know about the Rose Bowl, and I've said this a million times. I'm ten years old, living in bitter cold New Jersey, and I turn on the television. My uh, We had one TV. It was black and white, and I turn it on, and it was color that game. I don't know how it worked. It was color when I would watch the Rose Bowl at 5 o'clock New Year's Day because you certainly couldn't go outside because it's, we don't have the kind of cold here that they have back there where it just pierces right through you. And I remember watching it thinking, this, this is unbelievable. And it was in my black and white television as a youngster. And I, I've fantasized and dreamed about this game and how special it is. I put it on a pedestal before I even went to a Pac-10 school. And so for me, this has always been the game. So of course I'm going to bring some bias. So it's more about the system. If we're going to have a playoff, let's friggin' have a playoff, right? Where this doesn't come to pass. Ohio State... So they lost two games, and and I can't really criticize them for losing to Oregon because the fact that they're ruling the schedule that game instead of playing Cleveland State that week is something that is pretty good. And so they lose the game, and then they lose one conference game at the end. And it's sort of similar to the way I look at this conference game that they lost to Michigan in the manner that I looked at Utah losing to BYU. This is a rivalry. By definition, there has to be some back and forth, or else it's not a rivalry. So Michigan was going to win at some point. You know, as long as they kept Harbaugh employed there, he was not going to continue to lose every single game that they play against their rival, right? Same thing. That's why I don't hold it against Utah losing to BYU, because BYU was bound to win. They had a number of close calls, a couple of blowouts, but they had a number of close calls. So just the the law of numbers was going to mean that they were going to win. So they got the win. Good for them. Absolutely. Celebrate wildly, and they did. But it's no knock against Utah that they lost to BYU this year, and it's no knock against Ohio State that they lost to Michigan. And now, all of a sudden, they're right there, and they're going to be in the playoff. They lose one game in Ann Arbor. Boom! You're gone. It doesn't really make sense to me. If you've been in contention all this time and you lose one game, all of a sudden you're out. No. So expand the playoff so we don't have this situation. 
12 teams, one quarterfinal game on New Year's Eve in primetime, three on New Year's Day, and the Rose Bowl's a permanent quarterfinal and always has that time slot. And the others can yeah, rotate yeah. through the semi, and any stadium, any city can bid for the final. So they can even double back and put a final in Rice the Eccles. Rose Bowl. Well, probably not at Rice Eccles. <laughs> you said any stadium. They're going to be looking any any stadium with <laughs> seventy thousand seats and a hundred and a hundred luxury suites. <laughs> oh well, then don't say any stadium. Oh, man. All right. We are going to talk Rose Bowl with Josh Newman, Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, coming up next. Right now, though, we are joined by Rod Rex. He joins us from Lenride Mortgage. And mortgages are changing because interest rates are changing. So how does the plan for consumers need to change going forward, Rod? Yeah, looking forward to the new year. Uh, The best thing to do right now is take advantage of the rates we've got. Uh, They're still pretty close to those all-time record lows, but they are definitely going to be moving considerably higher in 2022. So right now, it's kind of a a perfect time to take advantage of that record equity that most homeowners have because of that record increase in purchase prices. And with the new 2022 loan limits in place for $647,200, Uh, you're able to take that cash out and lock in that low interest rate so that you don't have to pay tens of thousands in extra interest. Because if you compare a $400,000 loan at 3% uh, compared to the interest you'll pay just at 4%, that's $80,000 in difference. If rates go to 5%, you're looking at 166000 in interest. So literally, now is the time to act. So Freedom Loans are one of your most popular products. How do they work, and why do people like them? Yeah, we get a lot of calls on the Freedom Loan, and that's simply because instead of paying all those closing costs, whether you're doing a purchase or a cash-out refinance or a rate-and-term refinance, we can save you all of those closing costs so you can protect that equity you've got in your home and that money that you would be paying to go to closing costs. You can keep that in your pocket on a purchase. So you can put that towards new furniture or keep it in your emergency fund or on a cash out refinance literally means tens of thousands of dollars extra in your pocket. And what the freedom loan is, it's simply a rate that's as low or lower than other lenders will give you without any of the closing costs. We cover 100% of those closing costs for you. How do people get a hold of you if they want more info? Yeah, best thing to do is call our team at 801 Approve or visit us online at lendrightmortgage.com. Check them out right now online, LendRightMortgage.com, LendRightMortgage.com or 801 Approve. 801 Approve. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. DJ PK and Josh Newman, Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, joining us. Josh, good morning. Good morning, boys. How are you? Good. We didn't spend the day at Disneyland, and we're good. You must be great. Oh, happiest place on earth. (laughs) Happiest place on earth. There was real news at Disneyland. How much did that surprise you? 
Say that one more time. I'm sorry. There was real news at Disneyland. It wasn't just cliches and happy talk. Uh, the news breaking that Ohio State was going to be missing four guys. That was uh, that was not every day you get news at Disneyland. No, no, that was it. Was, it was interesting. All right, as I'm sure you guys know, the Ohio State press corps is very, very large, like exponentially bigger than what Utah will have here. You saw one opt-out break. You know, as we're waiting for this parade to start. And the Ohio State beat guys go scattering, looking for space with their laptops, and everybody started working. And then Ryan Day kind of dropped that news that the rest of those guys were opting out. So for the Ohio State guys, that it turned into you know quite the afternoon. Utah have a reaction to it? No, no, it's business as usual. I mean, you know, Kyle's pretty even keeled. He'll prepare, you know, as he. As he sees fit, no matter who's on the field. Now, you know, in, in fairness, that was breaking as we were talking to Kyle, so we didn't get the full reaction. But look, we'll talk to Andy Ludwig this morning. We'll talk to Morgan Scally tomorrow. We'll get Kyle one more time on Friday. Not really expecting anything, you know, earth shattering to be said by anybody um, in terms of the personnel that they have to prepare for now. There have been. Uh... There have been Ute fans who have been bugged big time by the whole Alabama didn't want to be their thing with the Sugar Bowl back in the 08 season, 09 Sugar Bowl. Uh, do you expect much of that with Ohio State, or do you think the talent they're losing is going to be offset because the guys who want to play, hey, they haven't had a chance to play, they've been stuck behind these guys, and they're going to bring some extra energy that maybe Ohio State wouldn't have had? How do you see all that playing out? I wouldn't say that it would offset. I mean, look. Garrett Wilson is a projected first-round draft pick this spring. Uh, Chris Olave is the same, right, a projected first-round draft pick. You lose those two, you lose your best offensive lineman, your best defensive lineman. I don't think that the guys that are going to slide in to those spots are going to offset it, but we know how Ohio State recruits. The guys that are sliding in are going to be, you know, four-star, five-star guys. Um, don't have the game experience that those guys had, but they're very, very talented. You know, in terms of the mindset – uh, how engaged, you know, Ohio State doesn't want to be here. Maybe some people feel that, amazingly, in this day and age of college athletics, that the Rose Bowl is sort of a consolation prize if you're Ohio State. Do I expect some of that? Yeah, yeah, I expect some of that. Um, at the same time, though, to your point, the guys that are here, the guys that want to be here, that will play, I would expect them to be engaged. And obviously, Ohio State, you know, Ohio State, I should say, um, will be no easy task no matter who's on the field for them Saturday. Yeah, for sure. We saw that the Beef Bowl has gone the way of the COVID uh, uh, precautions, I guess. Anything else? No, here, I mean, you know, we're pretty much we're pretty much in person, right? Ohio State is going through their morning media availability right now with a coordinator and four players. We will get Andy Ludwig and four or five players in about 45 minutes. Um, look, they canceled the big in-person media day on Thursday, which was going to include, you know, a couple of dozen players from each side. They canceled the in-person event at a steakhouse in Beverly Hills because, you know, Omicron and COVID and masks and being indoors. So, you know, beggars can't be choosers, right? This is the only New Year's Six bowl game that is doing in-person media availability. If we have to sacrifice some of that availability to keep the bulk of it so be it i I really have no complaints so far 
people really just want the game to come off and not go the way of four games that have been canceled and two games have had their matchups altered. And you had some quotes. I think it was Britton Covey who said, if there's going to if there's going to be a problem, it's not going to be with us. Uh, they seem pretty aware and focused from everything you've seen. I know you only get to see a little bit of it. You think they're taking all the precautions because people really want this game to happen. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think they've been very cautious, very safe. You know, not just now, but this week, honestly, for the balance of the last 18 months. I think the medical professionals, you know, chiefly Trevor Jameson, who is the head athletic trainer at Utah, I think they've done a good job um, of educating the student-athletes. Uh, you know, their testing protocol back last year was top-notch. Um, look, Utah's in a situation where, you know, 95 98% of the roster was, you know, fully double vaccinated. So if you had both shots, you were not subject to probably testing like you were last year. So, you know, guys have taken care of business. And especially now looking at this week, I think everybody, at least on the Utah side, everybody, you know, knows what's at stake here. They want to play in a Rose Bowl. They don't want any problems. They don't want any distractions. They don't want guys having to sit out because they weren't smart. So from a Utah perspective, everything I've seen, which as you said, is limited, and everything I've heard is that guys are really doing their best to try and take care of business. No opt-outs for the Utes that we know of. Several guys have already made their intentions known to declare for the NFL draft. There's uh, other possibilities. What are you hearing as far as maybe more guys that the Rose Bowl is it and they will enter the NFL draft? You know, I think I think we were all at least mildly surprised uh, that Brand Keithy, you know, decided to opt in, come back next year. Uh, Dalton Kincaid doing the same the following day. That was a, a little less of a surprise. Um, in terms of guys that maybe uh, would, you know, would go to the NFL draft, only big one out there right now um, is Tavion Thomas. You know, he said a few weeks ago that he's going to make his decision or at least make his announcement uh, after the bowl game. He is actually scheduled to be part of this availability here coming up um, at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. So, you know, we'll ask him again, but I think that's the – I think that's the big one that's kind of that's kind of still lingering out there. And look, even if he did declare for the NFL draft, even if he walks in here and says that he's going to um, that he's going to the NFL next year, I would still expect him to play in the Rose Bowl. All the other non-seniors, you know, Devin Lloyd, Faisal, Mika Tafua, uh, Nick Ford, etc., they're all leaving, but they all finish what they started by um, um, by playing on Saturday. The only two teams that have uh, beaten Ohio State have run the ball and just piled up massive numbers. Do you expect the Utes to be able to do that? Uh, be able to do that? Well, that is a different matter uh, versus the intention. Uh, I think the intention is, yeah, Utah's going to try to run the ball. Um, Oregon ran it all over, as you alluded to. Um, Michigan most recently ran for, uh, you know, 270 on Ohio State back in November, and look, this is, you know, this is what Utah's identity is, especially over the last, you know, seven, eight games, right? They ran, they ran all over Stanford for, you know, 440 yards, you know, 290 against UCLA, 250 plus against Arizona State, etc. And all of that is coming as the offensive line has been, you know, banged up here and there. You know, Knicks, minor stuff, you know, guys having to kick outside, other guys having to move in. It, it really hasn't mattered, right? I think Jim Harding the offensive line coach has done a, a tremendous job of, um, of pushing the right buttons and coaching these kids up. And again, this is what Utah does, right? You have Cam rising back there and he is shown capable of, you know, of going down the field and making plays, but your identity at this point 
um, has been running the ball. So, yes, I expect Utah to at least try to establish the run against this Ohio State front. Utah's defense, I don't think, has really faced a top-notch quarterback all year. In a lot of games, there were guys that were the second team playing and, you know, Anthony Brown, I never thought was any good, and I think he showed it in both times that they played the Utes. But you look at Stroud, and I think I make a strong case that he is the best quarterback that they will have faced this season. And I know that there's a couple of high-powered potential first-round draft picks at the receiver not playing. But what do you think is going to happen as far as passing? Because Shroud is really good, and I don't really see Ohio State changing its game plan that much. No, no, I, I, I do agree with what you said, PK. I, I do think there really isn't much doubt that, that C.J. Stroud on paper will be the best quarterback Utah has faced. They really didn't, you know, they, they didn't get the best from Keaton Slovis. Um, Anthony Brown, as you said, was, you know, very unimpressive in, in two games. I didn't think Jaden Daniels from Arizona State blew me away. Um, they missed Dorian Thompson-Robinson when UCLA came in. So you look at Stroud, I mean, look, Heisman finalist, he finished number four in the voting. Um, I think Sharif Shah, you know, gave some good insight late last week when we asked him about Stroud. Just he, you know, Stroud does not blow you away, but he's got a very capable arm. Short stuff, intermediate stuff, deep stuff. He can do a, he can do a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, this um, this Utah secondary. Is banged up, right? You have Clark Phillips on the outside and Malone Mott to LA on the nickel, but that other outside spot is, you know, we're going into this week here in Southern California. That's one of the real storylines here, right? Because, you know, look, JT Brockton's been out since the BYU game back in September. Fabian Marks is injured. Samaya Vaughn is injured. There has been, you know, you know, rumor mongering about a position change, trying to fill that outside cornerback spot. Sharif Shah tried to throw some cold water on that. So we'll see. You know, if I'm, excuse me, if I'm Ohio State, I'm at least trying to test that Utah secondary, which, as I said, is is quite thin right now. How much confidence do you have in the Utes on special teams? Because the thought that they could be running the ball and the defense could be holding its own, and then something horrible could happen on a punt or kickoff return, that's that's a nightmare scenario. How much confidence do you have in those groups? Um, I mean, in fairness, I would say very little just based on what's gone on here. Um, the uh, the Utah special teams has yielded, correct me if I'm wrong, they've yielded three 100-yard kickoff returns for touchdowns. They've had two punts blocked, both returned for touchdowns, and a third punt at Oregon State got blocked, but that was waved off because of penalty. So, oh, and that's not even, you know, getting into – the situation with the kickers, you know, with Jaden Redding, you know, he lost his job. He won it back. So there's been a lot of question marks. Um, special teams has been an adventure for Utah. And Kyle Whittingham hasn't really been shy about how it's been a disappointment. And, you know, he takes a large hand in special teams. Hasn't been up to snuff. So, yeah, if there is a, if there is a, you know, a, a, you know, a key punt situation or a field goal, like how much confidence do I have? Not much, and I think that's rooted in, in fact and, and, and fairness, quite frankly. What do you make of all this Whittingham retirement talk? I do not think that the Rose Bowl will be his last game. Uh, I also do not think that this Rose Bowl will be his last game. 
Um, I've talked to Mark Harlan on the record. Um, he said what he said. Um, you know, Kyle has balked at any notion that he's going to retire. Um, hearing, talking, I don't think this is Kyle Whittingham's last game. But I understand why that might be not an assumption per se, but I understand where that conjecture has come from. Okay, look, he's he is 62 years old. Um, you know, we don't know fully what the toll of the last year has been between the pandemic, two player deaths. You know, he's a grandfather of six. He has said, you know, a bunch of times that he is not, you know, a lifer, right? He's not going to be coaching into his 70s, into his late 70s. He's, he's not going to do that. So from that standpoint, I understand where that conjecture is coming from, why people are talking about it. I've been talking about it. Italy probably too much. Um, but no, I would agree with you. I don't think this is Kyle Whittingham's last game. This is also a guy who said he wouldn't be coaching when he was 60. This is also a guy who, you know, with the Utah and BYU job, he went back and forth that night. So I don't think it's his last game, but I don't want to crawl too far out on a limb. Everybody gets to change their mind, and he has changed his mind. So uh, I, no. don't, I don't feel like it's wise for anyone in the media to put too many stakes in the ground out there. I'm with both of you guys. I, I would think he's coming back. I think he's got a good team coming back. He looks to me just looking, and, and PK knows because we talk about this when we see him on the Zoom press conferences last year. He looks to me like he has way more energy. There was a time last year I thought he was exhausted and he was really beaten down by a mul- multiple series of demands coming at him. And he looks more energized, so I would think he's back. But I also don't want to crawl will, too far out on that limb. No, and I will, I will add to that. I think... Again, we have limited availability. We don't see Kyle Whittingham face-to-face often. Personally, I thought he looked very worn, very tired after Aaron Lowe's death, which is understandable, right? You're dealing with a player death, you know, a second player death in nine months. He looked like he'd had enough. But, you know, they they worked through that. They're still working through that. They've gotten beyond it. You know, you're, you know, you're going through the season. The team is good. The team is winning. Yes, he looked healthier. He looked more engaged. He looked happier. You know, his dry sense of humor uh, came out more in October and November once the team was winning. You know, they had started to work through their grief. So, yeah, I don't think anybody should be talking about it too much. But I I do think, um, and again, I've, I've written about it. Like, I do think it's something worth discussing. But there's there's no smoke. There's no indication from anybody that he's not coming back. So at this point, four days before the Rose Bowl, that's what I'm going with, that I think he's coming back. You're an East Coast guy. I don't know if you've been there, but if you have, can you compare Disneyland to Disney World? <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't been to Disney World in – I'm 39 years old. I have not been to Disney World in probably 25 years. Uh, so you're asking the wrong guy. Um, I thought Disneyland, look, for the limited amount of time I was there, I didn't go around the entire park. I thought Disneyland, you know, was clean and well-maintained and people were very helpful. Um, that was, again, this is my first Rose Bowl, right? So let's go to everything. Let's hit all the media stuff. I don't know that in future Rose Bowls I need to be going to the Disneyland thing on Monday. It was more of a photo op, kind of just the pomp and circumstance that comes along with the Rose Bowl. But again, first time, let's go to everything. Cool experience. Got to talk to Kyle. Again, who's limited. Talk to some players. Let's write some stuff. But I don't know that we need to be doing that end of this Rose Bowl week in the future.
Yeah, but the thought of Ohio State riders like perched on a fire hydrant by a parade, <laughs> hammering out some story about four opt outs, that cracks me up. Uh, it, it was quite a spectacle. I mean, if you're in the media, as we all are, we know that news breaks on a dime and you have to act. And I promise you, there was a group of like probably half a dozen Ohio State beat writers looking at their phones and they literally like dispersed to different ends of the little area that we were in. They all whipped out their laptop. And good, good piece of beat writer journalism right there. I, I really appreciate that. Well, Josh, we appreciate a few minutes. We know you got to get off to today's media availability. We will let you go. Thanks for hopping on the air with us, and enjoy the rest of the week in the game. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Josh Newman, Utah beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's just something about breaking news at Disneyland that's hilarious. Seems to me that I used to take my, I went for like 16, 17 years in a row mm-hmm. when we would go down to uh, San Diego or uh, when the Utes would play basketball, somebody, Long Beach or whatever. And I, I literally went like 17 years in a row. And it seems, I can't remember, but it seems to me something did break. And my family went in the park and I was in the car in the parking lot for a couple hours. Ah, that would, that would not be good. I just picture yeah. these guys like, watching the video thing yesterday, you know, the news breaks and the parade's going past Main Street. They're like, some B-Rider's got to clamber up on that on that fire engine and hammer out a story. Hilarious. <laughs> you're, you're on the boat going around the ride. I got to take another lap around. I'm not done writing yet. Now, that would be a fun story. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. I cranked out the story while I was riding. It's a small world. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's time to bring in Rod Rex from LendRight Mortgage. They've got a $1,000 lowest rate guarantee. A guarantee, Rod. You're pretty confident. Yeah, our rates are often a quarter or more lower than other lenders. And because we're an independent mortgage broker who shops the country's premier mortgage lenders, we can absolutely find you the lowest combination of rate and fees for your exact scenario. And no other lender offers a $1,000 lowest rate guarantee simply because they all know they don't have the lowest rates and fees. So we tell everyone, hey, compare our rates and fees to to your bank, your credit union, or any other mortgage lender out there. And we guarantee our rates and fees will be lower than any of them, or we'll send you a $1,000 check. So with rates still in the ones on an eight to 15 year term, and then also we're still in the twos on a 16 to 30 year term, but these rates are certainly gonna be gone very soon. So time is of the essence, so act now, let us help you lock in that low refinance or purchase rate, and we'll do it with a $1,000 guarantee. So the rate's going up. Not everyone can do math in their head uh, with some of these numbers, and certainly not while they're driving. But depending on what kind of loan you're looking at, 50, 100, 200 grand on the line? Yeah, yeah. The 15-year term, uh, if you're looking for those shorter terms, 18 to 15 years, uh, we can still get you a rate in the ones. Uh, and then, yeah, on that 16 to 30-year terms, uh, those rates are still in the twos. So, yeah, if you're looking on a $400,000 mortgage, if you compare a rate uh, just around even 3%, 
and you compare that to the interest you'll pay on a 4% rate, which rates are very likely to go to this year, if not higher, that's a difference of $80,000 in interest paid. So if you're looking to get cash out, refinance, or purchase, uh, you're going to save a lot of money by acting now while our rates are still so great. If people want to know more, how do they get a hold of you, especially to get questions about their individual situation? Yeah, we've got a great team that will take care of you. Uh, you can call us at 801-APPROVE or visit us at LendRightMortgage.com. 801-APPROVE. Call now at 801-APPROVE or online at LendRightMortgage.com. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. It's official. The youths are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the youths to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the youths' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the youths in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The 9 a.m. Slacker Radio headlines are brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. Well, PK, the Jazz do it. Shorthanded, no Donovan Mitchell. They go to San Antonio and win their seventh straight road game. Were you even a little surprised? I think I can say I was a little surprised, but not much. A couple of things factor in that I, I think that in any situation in the short term, you can overcome a loss of a player. And the Jazz are so good offensively that they're set up to overcome the loss of Mitchell. He's a prolific offensive player for sure, but they have so many weapons. A guy like Joe Ingles can score 17 points and nobody bats an eyelash, you know, and that's, I don't know what he's averaging, but that's obviously over his average. So he can easily make up some of those not maybe all of them individually but they've got enough guys to do it and Clarkson man he makes my eyeballs go tired watching him play because he's guys his constant movement fakes pumps underhand hook shots I mean you name it it seems like he's got the entire package offensively and so if he's hitting a few and he came in and scored what uh two two-pointers and a three-pointer, and it seemed like it was in 30 seconds. He's like seven <laughs> points, boom. Just If you blinked, you may have missed it. So you've got that going on, and then I really believe in the norm. And we saw, and we talked about it the night before, the Spurs shot out of their mind, which, yeah, look and see who they're playing, the Jazz, and, and root for that team in the prior game to go crazy. <laughs> because you're not going to have that many times where you shoot 56% from the field and you're back up with another shot night. away from 30 from 50% from the 3. I mean, I think they were what, 14 to 29 something like that, maybe 13 of 27 whatever one shot away, 48%. It's just not going to happen that much. So you factor all those things in and they got a, a, a nice win. I mean, any win on the road is certainly nice. And without Mitchell, it was a nice win. But this is what this team is capable of doing. So I guess if you take big picture look at it, nah, not that surprised. I thought that they were dialed in. There was attention from detail right from the, from the start, only giving up 43 points in the first half. And if you make the Spurs take some tough shots – 
they're probably not going to make them because they had been hot the night before. But don't have a gazillion turnovers and let them have a bunch of laps and a bunch of free throws because then they will score in bunches. And they limited those uh, turnovers into fast break opportunities, and they just seem dialed in. And maybe in that regard, even though you miss the talent, maybe missing a guy gets everyone a little more dialed in because there are times where they're playing well in a game and they have a good stretch, and they have a stretch where it's just kind of like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what? what? And then, oh, they get dialed in again and they look great again. And I just thought that they stayed pretty focused through that game. And there are always runs. And I really, this first best run may have been in garbage time just to get within six there uh, because the game was really more of a double-digit lead for the Jazz most of the second half. And I never thought they were going to lose it right at the end, but the Spurs made it closer. Uh, to your point, Joe Ingles, that was double his average. He's averaging eight points a game. So his seven, 17-point night, but he goes into this starting lineup. He's going to get more shots because obviously Mitchell isn't there to take shots, so everybody's going to have a few more opportunities and they end up with six guys in double figures. Yeah, and they needed it too because as a BYU fan, as you know, I've had nightmares of Jock Lawndale. Oh, really? Oh, Jock. Cold sweats, waking up at 2 in the morning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, faking me out of my jock. Jock doing what jock does. And what jock can do, jock can do. You got to let it go once they go to the pros. He's not a St. Mary's guy anymore. Now he's a spur. Let it go. Yeah, but in my heart, he'll always be a St. Mary's guy. The shorthanded Suns get beat. Memphis gets them right at the end. John Morant is back, and John Morant scores. You want to hit them with that John Morant highlight for people who didn't hear it earlier? That was uh, that got everybody going. But uh, no, Aiton, he is out. Crowder's out. So the shorthanded Suns drop a game. A rare loss for them. Only their only their seventh of the year. Yeah, Monty Williams wasn't there either, too. So yeah, a long way to go as far as that. Although we're now under. The, I always look at it once you get under the uh, mark, you know, 60 games, 50 games. And so w- w- most teams have 50 games left. Yeah. So we're like only uh, a couple of weeks away, maybe a little two and a half weeks of being the halfway, se- halfway point of the season already. And we're not to the new year. Go figure. All right, here's the, uh, here's the Grizzlies beating the Suns right at the end of the game. Ja drives into the paint. Ja off the glass and in! Ja Morant hesitates in the air. Gets it to go with .5 left. And the Grizzlies are on top. 114 to 113. Ja Morant with the basket. He's got 33 and none bigger than that one. Grizzlies sitting in fourth place in the West. They are four full games behind the Jazz, but they are also three and a half games in front of the Clippers and the Nuggets. So... Locked in on the fourth spot for the foreseeable future. Probably the fourth best team right now. I mean, we saw it last year that they were a nice emerging team. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're taking a step forward because they, yeah. the, uh, they were in the play-in series last year. And uh, in a traditional playoff format, they would have missed. But they, because of the play-ins, they, they were able to get their way into yeah. that first-round series with the Jazz. I think they played without Brooks last night, too. So that was a nice win for them. NFL, the Dolphins beat the Saints. Ian Book, the fourth quarterback to start a game for the Saints those, this year. Those were the Aints. They, they, <laughs> they were the Saints. <laughs> they were the Aints. That's old school right there. The Aints, you're going back in the day. Paper bags over the heads of the Superdome. That, that, yeah. that franchise has been much, much better the last 20 years. Yeah, when you have your fourth team quarterback, a rookie who's never played a lick, and geez, 
Yeah, no shot. Picked off twice, sacked eight times, threw a pick six on his second NFL throw. It was deflected a little bit at the line of scrimmage, and the defensive back grabbed it and was gone. And that was that. And then they were playing from behind, and the uh, the Dolphins just played it safe, punted. All right, we'll, we'll get our shot at some point. And they eventually did, got that second touchdown, and that was that. And that was the end of the game. Jimmy Garoppolo might be done for the year. The Niners might have to turn to their rookie quarterback. Garoppolo torn ligament, fractured bone in his right throwing hand. His status for the remainder of the season up in the air right now. Head coach Kyle Shanahan said the injury occurred in the second quarter of the loss to Tennessee. He finished the game. He missed an open TD pass, threw a couple of interceptions, didn't look good, and the thumb might be a big part of that. The Niners, yeah, so. yeah, the Niners with the chance to get to the playoffs, but uh, we'll have to see how they do down the stretch. They haven't clinched yet. The wild card is there for the taking, but uh, if you've got to go with a rookie quarterback, that could be a problem. And the big news for the Rose Bowl, Ohio State will be without four standout players in the Rose Bowl. Wide receivers Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, along with offensive lineman Nicholas Pettit-Ferrer and defensive lineman Haskell Garrett have opted out. So is that going to, with uh, Haskell Garrett, we had C.A. Stevens on, host of the Locked on Buckeyes podcast, who said losing Garrett was a big blow to the D-line and trying to stop the Utah running game. Obviously, the two receivers, 25 touchdowns and a couple thousand yards receiving, that's a big blow there. And they're losing a tackle. Can the Utes get to the quarterback? Well, if one more player opts out, I'm not going to watch the game. That's not true. You're going to watch the game. Betcha. You're going to watch the game. Betcha. (laughs) I'll be there, but I'm going to have my hand in front of my eyes. It'd be hilarious if you just got in your chair and turned around and faced the wall for three hours while everybody else was looking out the press box window at the game. I, I have to draw the line somewhere, and, and frankly, I don't draw enough lines in the sand, and that is my New Year's resolution for 2022, is I'm going to start drawing more lines and more sands. What do you think? Uh, Pentagon? A uh, triangle? A rectangle? What kind of? How are you going to draw these lines? Box yourself in on the sand. The Pentagon. You know, I'm not a political guy. Why would you bring up the Pentagon? Uh, the Pentagon is military. <laughs> right, but that uh, that's hot button, man. I can remember the protests that I took part in Vietnam. Oh my gosh. Not old enough to have done that, PK. <laughs> <laughs> like eight year old toddler, PK eight year old, yeah, four year old PK, eight year old PK. I Two told year old you PK life in New Jersey was way more advanced. <laughs> That's right. Diapers. I didn't wear no freaking diapers. PK half naked walking down the street. Diapers are for babies. <laughs> Uh, the bowl season is uh, really weird. Four games canceled, two games <clears throat> rearranged, new pairings. The Arizona Bowl isn't happening. Central Michigan and Boise State. Boise State has bowed out. They had guys go home for Christmas, come back, do the testing. People are testing positive, so they're not going to play. Central Michigan is going to go to the Sun Bowl and fill in for Miami, who'd already uh, decided not to play in that game. So Washington State... And Central Michigan. And Central Michigan goes from a bowl that had a $350,000 payout to a bowl that has a $4.5 million payout. So that's a win for Central Michigan and, and Max. Yeah, for the time being, but we don't know. I mean, the, the way things are, they may get back up, back on the, on the bus and end up in a Rose Bowl. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. And musical buses. <laughs> yeah, there's some of that going on. This is four games canceled and then two games with new opponents. 
So there has been uh, there's been plenty of change, and we may not be done. We'll have to see how this goes. All right, there's what you missed. That's the stuff we've been talking about during the show. Anything else you want to pass along to people? Those are the the big headlines, the news of the day. Uh, well, put down a ducky if you want to play the saxophone. What the huh? <laughs> it's a huh? child TV show. <laughs> I'm out of that demographic now. <laughs> well, you will be once they start pumping out grandkids. Yeah, loop back in. All right, and, kids. This is Bugs Bunny, and this I mean, is a classic. Are you sure you don't even have any grandkids? Because your son was a player. Oh, wow. <laughs> a he's tennis a player? Yuck, yuck. He's just covering his face in his hands. Like That was inappropriate. <laughs> he was a tennis player. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes, he did play high school tennis. You're right. See, didn't he beat Fino? What? I thought they were like uh, tennis rivals. Didn't Fino play tennis? Didn't they go to the same high school? They did go to the same high school, but years apart. They're they're not anywhere close to the same age. Oh. Tony, how's he doing, man? Is he going to be playing in these early uh, season uh, tournaments here? Because I always do this every year in January, torture myself, (laughs) watch all the golf. Oh, my gosh, look at that weather. He spent Christmas in Hawaii and posted he's playing a practice round yesterday. So, so if, oh, did he? He was in Hawaii. If he's well, Christmas, well, okay. If he's Christmas he can, in Hawaii, he, he's getting ready to go then. Yeah, well, then the, the, there's the two tournaments there because the yeah. one in Kapalua, you have to have one, right? And he did and win. He did win, yes. He won in Jersey. Yep. Tournament so, champions. Yeah, so my guess is he's going to play in those. I would. I'm just wondering so. what, what, his, what his schedule is going to be uh, for these West Coast things. I was thinking about that the other day. I don't know. It has nothing to do with what we were talking about. But I was wondering if anybody knew. If anybody knows what his schedule is, I would like to know it because, obviously, he's somebody that we follow. We have a close friend who covers this much closer than us that I'm sure could help us out in that regard. Yeah, that would be something. I told you my friend went to the Kapalua one a couple years back, and uh, he was standing there. And he made it sound like this is a tournament that I've really got to go to because it's not that crowded. And it's the first weekend after the new year. And he said he was standing off to the side and uh, watching McElroy. And McElroy gave him a fist bump. And then he was texting me and he wanted to know where Dustin Johnson was. And I'm sitting at home watching and I'm texting him where to go in Hawaii as he was trying to figure out what hole Dustin Johnson was on. So modern communication now is really just incredible. And we just had Pace Mannion on from, from Italy. It, and he and sounded, it sounded like he was like right he down was, the street. He did. He did. He sounded like he's on the Wasatch Front. Yeah, I know, man. I was a, thinking about, wow, what a connection. Yeah. <laughs> you you should do the Maui thing. First off, you're a huge golf fan, and second off, you go to Phoenix, which has got to be the most crowded yeah, it is, annual yeah. tour event. I mean, there's just people everywhere, and then you go to Maui, and it looks like a European event because there are guys on tee boxes, and there's nobody there but the caddy, and then whoever else is in their group. And and even on some of the greens, it looks like people are only like two deep on right. That's what my friend said. He yeah. went there. And he thoroughly enjoyed it. When the day comes that I am uh, done, when they decide I'm done, I'm definitely going to go over there and experience that. And he said it was way casual and it was a lot of fun. And obviously the views are spectacular. I've played over there because I've covered the Maui Invitational a few times. And uh, I was in the pro shop one day. I wasn't planning to play, but 
Texas was playing in the Maui thing, and Ben Crenshaw is a big Texas guy, and he walks right past me. I said, oh, Ben Crenshaw. And uh, so then he goes up to the first hole to tee it up, and I went out and watched him for the first. I was probably wondering, what the heck is this guy doing? But I thought, eh, I'm going to watch him. But, uh, yeah, it's this spectacular area, and I look forward to experiencing that at some point in the future. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. Your feedback coming up next. A lot of people not happy with the discussion of the Rose Bowl and what's happening there. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The fifth annual Black Friday sale has been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Question of the morning, how sad is it that several Ohio State players are opting out of playing in the Rose Bowl? And you, Jazz 2021, says, it's not going to affect it for me one bit. They want to treat it like a normal Tuesday? Fine. But Utah deserves this, and when we win, I'm bragging about it for years. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I like that. I'm beyond okay. You guys do what you do, but if we win, we're going to be happy. Happy. And they should. How sad is it that you don't even pretend to do your job anymore, David? I'm not even pretending to do my job. I have no idea what that means. Uh, Ute fans did not like the question. They object to the question. That's my question, so I deserve the heat. Make sure I get the heat. My whole job is to protect you from heat. How sad is it that several Ohio State players are opting out of playing in the Rose Bowl, and Red Rock Ute says, how sad is it that you still have a Twitter account? (laughs) Ute fans did not like the question. This has nothing to do with Utah. Listen, in the minds of Ute fans, it does. How sad is it that you never actually do any journalism and just troll and seek clickbait? Well, that's all I do. I mean, this is me. This is not you. We have to protect you at all costs. Without you, we have nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I don't get the correlation, honestly. They don't, they don't I like don't the question. It. They don't want to discuss it. So you attack the person who presents it. And it's true that oh. you wrote the question on Facebook. But then to get more responses, I copy and paste it on. Yeah, I get all that. I, I get. But they don't know that. And they would rather attack the messenger than discuss the issue, which is four Ohio State players who start, including two elite receivers who are going to be catching passes in the NFL, are playing in the Rose Bowl. And but I think I what sucks for Ute fans is they're – they're worried they're not going to get to fully enjoy the moment if the There's Utes win. There's nothing that sucks. You're going to the Rose Bowl. You haven't won the game yet. So let's worry about that after the game if you win the game. I don't know that you're going to win the game. You're still not favored, even with the defections, to win the game. But I don't think at any way, shape, does this diminish what Utah has already accomplished. And if they win, they win the Rose Bowl. Who will remember so-and-so play, didn't play? If you win the Rose Bowl, the Devils have had one Rose Bowl win in their entire program history, right? And I happened to be there. I had just moved to California. Now, I don't remember. Did Michigan have some – nobody opted out nobody then, opted But out did they have then. some guys who were injured that couldn't play? Isn't it the same type of thing in that way? Ben says it's sad, but it's understandable. Who wants to lose your last college game? Boo! 
boom, there it is. Way to come strong, Ben. Okay, I like that. Now, I really don't understand the anger on behalf of Ute fans. And, and I guess I can't say, oh, Ute fans are sensitive because some of them are, but they're probably no more than anybody else. But I, I don't understand their angst over the question. This has nothing to do with you. You've earned the right to be there. This is the best game in which a committee does not decide you're in. It is based on strictly on-field performance. You won the conference, you got the bid. I mean, where are we going to go? You you missed a bunch of quarterbacks who didn't play when you played them. Does that cheapen it? Back, backup quarterbacks and interim coaches. Y- yeah. Can we go on to that line all the way down? You don't really deserve it. Hell, you beat Oregon and their coach was out the door. So, come on. If Oregon, had, if Cristobal was going to be there, they wouldn't have played like that the last two games because surely the thing didn't happen, the discussions with Miami. If you listen to Herb Street yesterday, he discussed the Miami thing with Cristobal in October, and he flat out asked him, what's the deal? And Cristobal said, oh, we'll get to that later. And Herb Street, and you can go on looking for it yourself because everything is Zoom now and it's available for everyone. You may not be able to ask questions, but at the time he said, and he said yesterday, I noticed that Cristobal didn't uh, squash it or deny it. And so the implication, or as somebody wrote to me in Twitter yesterday, he alluded, E-L-U-D-E. You <laughs> <that laughs> alluded, huh? Yeah. This is escape. Catch me if you can. He ran away. Somebody ripped me and was talking about how I was alluding to the fact, and he spelled some Ute fan spelled eluding, E-L-U-D-E. Uh, you had to send that to me. He was like, okay, that was good. They meant alluding. Yeah. It starts with the letter A, not the letter E. You're going to rip somebody. At least don't just screw up the entire word. Well, he was playing crux. tag at the time, and he just got a little distracted. Eluded. So he eluded to the fact that Cristobal did not deny that. So we can go that. This is a bogus uh, division or a conference title because the Oregon's coach was out the door. What, what if we, what if we just go with the theory that if you're playing the game and you're keeping score, then what is up there on uh, on the board and lights matters? And if you win, you win. And all the other stuff is blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I'm shocked that Ute fans would be offended by this question. Now, obviously, it's not all of them, but any of them, because this Plenty has nothing them. to do with yeah. you. Tons of them. You can, you can go into my Twitter mentions, and you can look. Well, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to respond individually to each one and call them a dumb bleep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, it was, you don't even want the game to be played. I'm like, that we is... We don't want the game to be played, or just the, you? That was someone tweeting at me that I didn't want the game to be played. That I hated the Utes and I and us people in the media. So there was, I think, a reference to the media at large, but specifically, I didn't want the game played, which is just stupid. I mean, it's it's one of the worst takes possible. It's, you don't want the game to be played. Like we I just want went every through. Game to be played. You and I just went through, and so did everybody else in sports. A whole summer where there weren't games. That wasn't that good. And this last Sunday, tomorrow. we had enormous ratings. That's because there's a Rose Bowl game. It's the story. People care. People are very excited. The best thing that could happen is that the youths beat Ohio State. They won't have huge ratings Saturday night. If, if, if your team loses, you don't turn in to watch the recap. Fans don't in any real numbers. The, the hardcore will. If your team wins, all the bandwagoners and casual fans, especially as a big game, then they turn it on. 
The, the ratings follow big games, and they follow wins. Yeah, you can't get enough, man. Exactly. I'm driving down tomorrow, and I expect to be waving to you fans constantly Non-stop. as they yeah. blow by me yeah. speeding because they're lawbreakers, and I'm not. Uh, Brian says it would be nice to beat them at full strength, but at this point, I just hope both teams are able to play. And we have had four games canceled, and the matchups changed in two other games, so hopefully they will be able to play. For sure. And we're getting closer. Today's the 28th. So far, so good. So, so far, so good. Well, if you're going to cancel it, do it tomorrow before I get on I-15, please. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, time to bring in Rod Rex. Lend right mortgage. He joins us now. And you can act now to tap the equity using the new 2022 conventional loan limit. How does this work, Rod? You know more about this than, uh, than most of us. Yeah, right now we've got the opportunity to get the largest conventional loans that we've ever had because of that almost a $100,000 increase in the conventional loan limits. So you can do a conventional loan now up to $647,200. So that's across the whole state of Utah with that record equity that most homeowners now have in their home. If you're looking to do major purchases, to pull some money out, to invest it, to do a remodel, to do that addition, consolidate debt, whatever you would use that equity for, you need to act now because rates in 2022 are going to move higher and quite possibly significantly higher. So you want to act now, take advantage of those new loan limits, tap into that equity and get that cash while you can at these great low rates. You've got a uh, guarantee, a lowest rate guarantee. How do you know for sure you're going to have the lowest rate? Yeah, the beauty of working with an independent mortgage broker is the fact that we're not your actual lender. We simply broker the loan. We have contracts with the premier lenders across the country, and all those lenders pay us the exact same amount. So we have no incentive other than to shop and find each client their individual lowest combination of rate and fees. So what we do is we just have our loan originators go out, shop each lender, and then we present that best offer to each client. And that's something that a a bank, a credit union, or other mortgage lenders just can't offer. And because of our lower cost structure, we just have lower overhead. And so we're able to pass along that cost structure to our clients. So a $1,000 lowest rate guarantee compare us to anyone out there, your bank, your credit union, or any other mortgage lender, we guarantee we'll have the lowest rate and fees. How do people get a hold of you if they want more info? Yeah, best thing to do is just give us a call. Uh, you can reach us at 801-APPROVE or visit us online at LendRightMortgage.com. 801-APPROVE is the number to call. 801-APPROVE or LendRightMortgage.com. Thanks, Rod. Great to be with you. Good to have you here. Rod Rex, Lend Right Mortgage. We're all done. Jake and Ben are coming up next.